Bang. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with me, Brian Campbell. Coming back at you, mixed martial arts, all killer, no filler, and ready for injection with the, you know, that syringe that's runneth over with that performance enhancing audio. No, no, no. You saw the not calling you today. Untraceable, unmistakable, coming at you with a loaded program. The Brian Campbell, of course, the voice that you hear. Ready to give you what you want, which is a detailed UFC 238 breakdown, including do we have a new star on our hands? The undisputed cringer weight champion, Henry Sohudo, the Triple C. We'll get into that and much more. Also, detailed preview of a loaded Bellator 222 card coming at you from NYC MSG on Friday. Reminder as well of this five star season if you like this show, and I really think you're going to like this week's edition. Get on out there. Holiday season, start giving back. Five-star review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MySpace, J-Date, wherever you are listening to this show, we want to hear from you. All right, let me welcome into my boys. No need to do a long intro today. Let's face the pain for the one and only Be Wise. Oh, yeah. He's a former All-State left tackle at North Boca High, number 65 in your scorebooks, but number one in your hearts. It's the Brandon Wise. What's happening, Broham? Brian, I'm back in Florida. I had a great time in Austin this weekend, eating and drinking my head off. But now it's time to talk to you. Let's see how you're doing in training camp. Let's see if you took advantage of the time I was away. I don't think you did, but... Let's see. I see. Remember, remember when I, we talked about how you peaked too early? You're already fat on brief brisket. I love this. We also have our producer, Mikey Mormile, on the ones and twos. My man, how is it? How are we doing today, BC? Fired up. And you know why I'm fired up? We don't just have a great guest this week. We have a new member of this show. We have the third man, maybe the fourth man, if I'm doing my math correctly. But that was a shout out to WCW Bash at the Beach 1996. They were waiting to see who the third man was, and it was Hulk Hogan. We don't have Hogan here. But we have a Hall of Famer just the same. You can see him except that induction July 5th in Las Vegas. He's a former UFC light heavyweight champion. Always sweet, never sour. Sugar, Rashad Evans, my man. Welcome. <laughs> BC, what's good with you, man? It's good to be a part of the show. I love it. It's almost like we got a new era on this show. It feels like it feels good to be here. Oh, too soon on that, Joe Rogan. Why did too you soon. already do that? <laughs> too soon on that, Joe Rogan. All right, we don't need to be going there. The Rashad <laughs> Evans era. And look, we started right there. We got to give you a round of applause, Rashad. You're a damn Hall of Famer. Tell us about that. You get that call? You expecting it? What's that like, man? Nah, you know what? I I didn't even get the call. I just got the, uh, you know, at the uh, event. They just brought me down on the floor, and they were like, hey, you know, um, you know, we want you to sit down there because uh, the fo- the fights were kind of dead in Rochester. So we went sit- sat down there, me and Kamaru, and uh, I was on my phone. And they're like, hey, I want you to look up at the screen. And I looked up at the screen. I'm like, wow, they really went all out for this whole, you know, me and Kamaru, you know, because I thought Kamaru was a champion. <laughs> so, you know, they do like a special thing for the both of us. But then I only see myself on the screen. And then I'm just like, whoa, this is kind of weird. And then. You know, it just it the emotions just hit me because once I started to hear all the fighters and all my peers start speaking about, you know, uh, my impact in the sport and what it meant to them. You know, for me, it just it, it, it got really emotional, man. I, I had I tried my hardest to just, you know, to maintain and not just like break down and cry. But uh, it was a beautiful moment for me. Yeah, we were fired up because, look, Brandon Wise and I on this show, we we're critical 
of certain Hall of Fames, UFC one of them, because there's not always a certain rhyme or reason as to who gets in. I love me some Matt Serra. The guy's got an 11-7 record. Debate for another time. But when somebody goes in the UFC Hall of Fame, we have that debate. We go, look, in a real world or in any, if this was the standards of the Baseball Hall of Fame, is this guy legit? When Rashad Evans' name came along, we're like, holy crap, this guy's legit because not only were you one of the greatest of your era, Rashad, you're one of the biggest stars of your era. And that matters at a time when the sport was really trying to gain that pay-per-view foothold, trying to gain that national TV foothold. People forget. Non-title yeah, match do. with Rampage. You're putting butts in those seats, bro. You're selling pay-per-view buys at a level maybe people didn't think coming in. Yeah, you know, that that's that's one thing that um, you know, when I when I look back on everything, I'm I'm still just uh, you know, just still in awe about, you know, because you know, this sport came out of nowhere and I never expected the sport to be what it was. I never expected to do what I did in the sport. But, um, you know, being part of those epic battles with Rampage and with and with Quentin and, and those I mean, with Rampage and with John Jones, you know, those those fights and, and just, you know, um, being able to, to, to captivate the imagination of the fans and, and be part of all of that. You know, that was huge, you know, because those fights, you know, those fights, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, um, you know, they they meant a lot to me. That's fantastic. And going in there with Michael Bisping, Rich Franklin, great class forming to be. And I know people have seen you before on CBS Sports, seen your work on CBS Sports HQ, breaking down fights. You had a big role ahead of that Maymac fight a couple years ago. We are overjoyed to have you on this show. Brandon, come on. Talk about a free agent signing. I mean, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying right there? Does it get any bigger than this? As long as he doesn't break the door when he comes in here like Rampage did, then I'm happy. This is awesome. We're going to have such a great time. Can we get to the bottom of that conspiracy? That's a trick door. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> the, the the door, well, I mean, the door is you know is, is pretty much just uh, cardboard for the most part because they know somebody's probably gonna kick it door down. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a real door. <laughs> One of the most iconic moments in tough history. I mean, you got that guy uh, angry. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it went both ways. You know, there was times where uh, you know I, I had to uh, speak to Mike Van Arsdale and Trevor Whitman before I came into. Uh, the studio before we came to the gym because I'm like, yo, you know what? If he says one more thing to me, I'm just going to punch him in the face. And I was serious. <laughs> <laughs> now, they have rules in that where if you throw a – like, you know, on the re- if you're on the real world, there's yeah. road rules. You throw a puncher out. What are the rules on tough? Well, they, they didn't say any rules, but then after me and him got into it a couple of times, uh, Dana sat us down and was like, listen, guys, you know, I understand that you guys don't like each other. But if you fight, then, then um, you know, we're not going to be able to do the show. Really? You know, he yeah, he just told us straight out, you know, and they were just like, all right. So then we knew at that point that, you know, we can get in each other's face, but, you know, just don't don't swing that punch. Would they have canceled the, the fight? I don't think so. They would have canceled the fight, but they just kind of told us that. So we'll behave a little bit better. But it was to the point where, you know, we were getting into each other's face like every single time that we've seen each other. But it's like at the same time. All of that drama and him ripping the door, it became a, a million dollar pay-per-view. It, buy. It, you know, it sure did. It sure did. No title on the line, just two great personalities and, and, and a fun fight and Rashad saying things like this. So why are you tearing down a door? Yeah, why? Why, brother? Who throws, <laughs> who throws a shoe? Honestly, who tears down a door? I love it. All right. Uh, Rashad, I, I can't wait to see you go in. We're going to see the highlight packages. We're going to see one of the most vicious knockouts of all time when you took the Iceman downtown. That was the first major pay-per-view sort of giant fight where like my stomach turned. I'm like, do I, do I really want to be a fan of this sport? Because, man, he got knocked the F out. And, Rashad, I don't know if you've been briefed, but there's another fight rising on the horizon. Not talking UFC, not talking Bellator, talking hashtag Campbell Wise, your two new podcast co-hosts here. Survive yeah, I, or I was, die. I was, 
I was hearing a little bit about that uh, before we started, and, and let me just get a breakdown on it. So, I mean, from my understanding of it, you know, Wiseman, he's been working his butt off. Yeah, you know, he looks yeah. in pretty good shape. But as I understand it, you haven't started your training. Well, yet. here's the deal, Rashad, all right? And I bring up the Chuck Liddell KO as just a way for Wise to think in his head, do I really want to go through with this? <laughs> oh, I'm talking tough, right? Well, yeah, because I am tough. And here's the deal. My name's on this show. My name's on the marquee yet this young buck, Rashad, and you've been there late in your career oh, yeah. when you yeah, were that veteran who still got the juice in the inside the belly there and I, and, and it still knows <laughs> he's got enough. And this guy challenging me. Oh, because he's in because he had a quarter life crisis. He's in the best shape of his life. I'll give him the credit. He's a tall drink of water, the six five southpaw. But he challenges me to a three round sparring match on my own show. Rashad. You got to you got to back that up, right? You can't jack. Uh, you, you, ha- you have to, you know. I, I think if you get inside of his chest, I think you can, you know, negate some of the reach that he has, and and, and with your, you know, your, your mental toughness, I'm sure you can be able to put some pressure on him. So I, I see why he haven't started training yet, but then at the same time, this guy is a physical specimen. He's six five. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> shot. Hold on, hold on, BC. Hold on. You also aren't aware of the fact that I took him to my gym. We did a session with a trainer. And he was gassed after two oh, minutes. No. Yeah, but, but Rashad, you got to understand oh, no. the, the, the seeds I'm planting <laughs> mentally. I let him see me on negative day one-ish, like the day before ah. day one. I let him see me at my worst. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm washed. He's got the images in his brain. This guy's nothing. But here's the thing. Yeah, I'm 40. Yeah, I'm washed. But I got a great metabolism. I'm going to shed those. <laughs> I'm going to get ripped quick, all right? Once I hit that switch, Rashad, all right? I don't want to bore you with my washed life details. But all I'm saying is this. Yeah, the guy's got a 13-year age advantage. Yeah, the guy's got some some height, couple three inches. He's only got a half-inch reach advantage. And I know he carries around them lunch boxes as fists. But I get inside that jab. It's a fight, all right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But now Dude. you just now you got to get in shape, though. That's the thing about it. Yeah, that's, being in shape is it's the most important thing, though, right? He, he thinks I'm gonna gas out in a three minute or a three round three minute fight. I'm like, BC, it's nine minutes. You aren't even two three minutes yet. <laughs> I've been doing like eight minute round training for like seven months now. Hey, BC, you gotta get on some kind of training. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. I, start off slow. Start off on a cardio. Do a little bit of cardio. Start on an elliptical. You know, something really, really slow. Non-impact, no, not a lot of big impact, and just start working your way up. I'm ready. I'm ready to, to turn this thing around. <laughs> so you know what I also did, which was smart? I hung out with Brandon for two days in Fort Lauderdale. I ate 36 wings in a two-meal span, and that really just <laughs> let him let him know, oh, this guy's not for real. He's got a bad back, right. which I did that weekend. But no, I'll be there. I'll be there, Rashad, because so you know, us old guys, we need something to fight for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And, and, and uh, beating back these old guys, these, these young guys who get – who, who started to feel themselves, it's worth it. Yep, yep. Buddy, I'm going to clown you so bad. Oh, like, boy. I don't think you understand. We got to record this. I don't, we, okay, but you got to give him the full breakdown now. All right, as of now, Mikey Mormal sitting on your left is our referee. But I'm sometimes I toy <laughs> at night when I lay my head down to the pillow. Will he Will he save me if I needed it? Would, would he do the job? Is he, is, is he <laughs> is, capable? Is he qualified? I don't know. All right, we have Kieran Portley as a judge, one of the three judges. Because, look, this may go the distance, you know? Yeah, I may take him into deep waters. We'll see what happens there. All right. <laughs> it's coming together. This all I know is I have Don't a contract that we, says we do need a venue, though. We need a venue. I'll, I'll come right to your gym. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. All right. All right. Enough of this. Enough of this crap. Let's not ruin Rashad's day with this talk of some some wash guys there. But Rashad, since you walked away from the sport, the itch is gone, right? Or is the itch there every damn morning? 
now the, the itch is gone. And, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that the itch is gone. You know, I, I do feel it sometimes when I watch these guys compete and they have these great performances. And then I'm, you know, I still feel like, man, I, I, I can do something. But then uh, but then I think about everything that goes into what it takes to do a fight. And I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I should just sit back and just talk about fighting. <laughs> Not a bad gig because, if you can get because it. Because it's, it's, it's hard, though, man. I mean, you, you have you have the physical aspect of just training, but then, you know, um, you know, getting into the cage and, and the whole mental part around that is something that uh, is, is difficult. No, I'm, I, I can I can uh, I can say I, I know what you're talking about. Obviously, I don't. But uh, I couldn't imagine even just, you know effing around, working out, doing some sparring, doing some, some corporate sparring, being a faker once in a while. Man, I don't know how you guys live that life day to day where it's like, I'm getting ready for war three times a year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because you, you constantly live with that, that feeling in your stomach. You know what I'm saying? That, that feeling of just anticipation. You know, uh, Some people call that anxiety, but you, you get that feeling. It just ranges in, in, um, in levels of anxiety. Like, for instance, after I went to fight, my anxiety is pretty low. I just want to fight. I feel pretty good for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, a month or two down the road, and then, you know, uh, I get a call from the UFC. And then I get a schedule for a fight. And then the anxiety starts all over again. So then I get used to that anxiety, and then I start training again. And then you, you always – different phases of anxiety the closer you get to the fight. You know, and it's just – just that anticipation, you know, you, you want to go out there and you want to perform well, but uh, I don't miss that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you don't miss getting to eat, too, and getting to just live your life. Right, and, by I know, the way, I know. It's, it's, but, you know, one thing that I can say is that I marked my time in life just about, you know, how many fights that I do a year. So now, you know, I was doing typically like, you know, two to three fights a year. So, you know, that that's about 10 weeks each camp. And, uh, you know, that's about, you know, 40, you know, 20 weeks for for uh, for two camps. Uh, 30 weeks for two camps. I mean, for three camps. So, you know, that that's a long time to, to have your time tied up to just train for a fight. So, you know, your, your schedule is pretty booked up. But without having that, now you're just like, okay, what do I do with myself? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, well, just a final note on hashtag Campbell Wise Survive or Die. My victory meal after I defeat Wise, you and I are going to have to hang out, Rashad. We're going to have to go up to Northwest New York, your, your stomping grounds, and check out some garbage plates in Rochester. I know how you guys get down up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, the, the garbage plates, the garbage plates. That, that was, uh, those were amazing, man. I used to eat those all the time. But now, guess what? I don't eat meat anymore, man. I'm, I'm oh, wow. all, all uh, plant-based diet now. Wise, really? Wise has not made that adjustment for his training camp as he was in Austin, Texas over the weekend taking down some BBQ. Taking down everything. I took down some big-ass pigs. <laughs> Wow. Wow. All right. Delicious. We got to get into all things UFC 238, a loaded card. It's delivered. And we will right after this word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. And I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 
And we're back. BC, B-Wise, Mikey Mormile, and the great Rashad Evans with you coming at you. Hey, guys, UFC 238 this past weekend, Chicago. Of course, we know two title fights atop the marquee. The quote-unquote people's main event of Cowboy Tony. But, wow, top to bottom, I think it delivered. I was fired up coming out of that show. We have so many storylines to break down. Wise man, who's the MVP of UFC 238? My boy, Peter Yan. Oh, wow. Your, your son. Your son, Peter Yan. Your son. <laughs> my, my large adult son, Peter Yan. You're fostering him into, into, into full adulthood here. He was also my only pick that I got right this weekend. So, yeah. All right, all right. The correct answer was Henry Cejudo. All yeah, right. it's got to be him. So, <laughs> right. I mean, he said Peter. It, it kind of threw the flow off everything. It, it, it's without a doubt is is the triple champ. Look, here's the deal on this show, Rashad. We speak the truth. All right, the hard Absolutely. truth, even if people don't want to hear it. And the truth right. was, I didn't think Cejudo deserved this title opportunity. I get what they're doing. He's getting that push, man. He's getting that opportunity to join history, getting that opportunity to be a true crossover star. Doesn't hurt that he's Mexican-American, good-looking, and an Olympic gold medalist. But when you come through with performances like he did on Saturday, when he flips the script after a somewhat disastrous round one against maybe the most underrated fighter in the sport, Marlon Moraes, and puts him away and showcases speed, cardio, adaptability, fights through an injured ankle, we find out. In the end, I don't care how cringeworthy he is. I don't care if it's too soon. I don't care that I didn't think he beat Demetrius Johnson. This guy is a star, and that was one hell of a performance. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. And if you look at the fact that, you know, you can look at the skill and you can look at the fact that, you know, he got wrestling, he got boxing. But at the end of the day, what got him that win in the fight was hard. And, and, and just, and just mental fortitude, mentality got him win, the win in a fight. You know, um, you know, he sprained his ankle earlier that week and it was a severe sprain to the point where, you know, he could barely walk. Now imagine going into a fight with that already on your mind because, you know, when, when you go into a fight, you want to be able to feel close to 100% as possible. And if you feel anything, then it plays in the back of your mind. And then having that disastrous first round and to not, be like, Yo, my, you know what? I got my butt kicked the first round and my ankle hurt. You know, I'm this is it for me. He came in there and said, I'm going to go forward. And he walked he walked down Marlon and landed some significant knees on the inside. And that for me, I was just like, wow, this guy right here showed why, you know, um, he has been able to do what he's been able to do. You know, and I was I was beyond impressed with him. Brandon, are we lost in the praising of Cejudo, which I want to continue to do, by the way? Did Marlon Moraes disappoint you at all and kind of gassing out? Or did you just say, hey, Cejudo dragged him there? Yeah, so that was going to be my take is that I think what you guys all said about Cejudo was great. I thought he the, the adjustment after round one when he's just getting destroyed by those kicks because that was when I watched it back, those kicks were just so violent and he was setting it up so well to the point where he was kind of dragging his back foot and he was he was fainting without throwing where he was fainting that he was going to go low and he would end up hitting Cejudo in the head. And Cejudo couldn't figure it out which way he was going to go. So when he made the adjustment and he was able to figure out where the, the the strike was coming from and then able to disarm him with it and slow him down, that was totally impressive. But the fact that Marlon Moraes gassed out that quickly in round three, when he said the eye poke in the third round, like, as a, it seemed like a way for him to get a minute to relax and like calm himself back down. I was pretty disappointed in that because they said it on the broadcast that he carries a lot of weight. He cuts a lot to get to 135. He should probably be a 145er anyway. But 
for a guy who has been that destructive in his career and the run that he was on before this fight, for him to not really show up in that third, the second and third round, I was like, man, like what happened? Like, is there something going on that we didn't know about before that fight where you're having like a struggle in training camp or something? Because he looked the part of a champion before this fight. And I just didn't see it in that, in that third round against uh, Henry Cejudo because he was on the ground basically saying, I I'm done. Like to just stop the fight for me. I, I think, I think the problem came for uh, Marlon when, when the fact that, you know, whenever you land, like a let out a big powerful shot, they usually take a second where you have to take a, a minute to breathe. And normally when you throw a big powerful shot, the guy backs up a little bit because you either hit him or you threw with enough velocity where he's like, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit, you know? And he, and he, and he's like, okay, this guy's throwing, throwing hard. So let me give him a little bit of space. You're not used to a guy who you throw hard with that just comes at you and puts you and, and doesn't give you that break. And I think that's what we've seen happen with Marlon. I think he was in great shape, but he got, he got thrown off this pace because of the fact that Henry was, was, was suffocating him. And when you have a guy who throws you off your pace, you can be in the best shape of the world. But if I, like, like if I throw off your pacing that you're not used to, mm-hmm. even though you're in good shape, you're going to struggle no matter what you've done because it's different than what you've been used to doing, you know? Did you think it was timing as well? Um, Because he was, like you're saying, his pacing was all off because he was trying to throw, he was throwing heavy strikes and then not being able to recover enough. But do you think that messed up like his time, his timing into the strikes? Because that means that he probably wasn't landing well either. Yeah. So that, so, so once, once the pacing was off, then the timing of the strikes got off and then he was throwing punches and throwing strikes when he wasn't ready to throw strikes. So, so whenever you're throwing strikes and throwing combination when you're not ready to throw strikes, that's going to get you tired as well, too, because, you know, before you get ready to go, you're bracing yourself before you do it. But if I'm throwing whenever you're making me throw, then I'm not catching my breath. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think that's what happened. And then you got to look at the mental side of it, too. Like, you're throwing everything you got at this guy. You're, he's, you're catching with everything, and he keeps coming. I was going to say that the mental fatigue may have been a biggest thing. You brought up the good point about having his timing thrown off, and it always makes me remember Floyd Mayweather's run late in his career where he frustrated guys so much into chasing and not being able to hit that there was just this burden of stress on them that would begin to wear him down, and it seemed like something turned for Marais there. Hasuudo summed it up afterwards as basically saying, look, he put power into every shot, and he wasn't landing them, and I knew he'd wear down. Whatever the, the formula and combination was, it was a, it was a little bit of Marais being uncomfortable, and it was a lot of Cejudo showing us things that I didn't know he had coming in. You know, you knew he I could know. wrestle. You knew his boxing is improved. You knew he certainly has no shortage of confidence. I didn't know the full evolution was there to some of these intangibles, the the right. the game planning, the the cardio, all on these levels. I mean, look again. I've been very critical of him getting this type of push. I never thought. TJ Dillashaw as the champion should have come down to flyweight to meet him. I didn't put a lot of stock in that victory because of it. This is one of those victories similar to Connor's rise where you're like, oh, this guy's just a pretty boy pay-per-view star. He never beat anybody. Oh, then he knocks out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. And then you're like, all right, my argument is not holding up anymore. Hey, guys, my argument against Cejudo no longer holding up anymore. It's good to see a guy who has star potential get the chance to shine. Right. And, 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 and even, and even with Henry, like he's, he's growing into a star potential. You know, he's growing into who, who he is as a character in UFC. You know, he's, um, you know, he, he's, 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 uh, a, fully, fully adopted the whole like corny, cringe, whatever people want to call him. But at the end of the day, you know, he, he's, 
he says what he feels and, and, and being able to say what you feel and, and be the way that you truly are. There's a sense of freedom in that, you know? So I think that, you know, him just, just being free in who he is, is allowing him to also grow into the person that we see before us today. Okay, but you do know? you think that's him though? Because I'm getting second-rate Colby Covington vibes, and those vibes are cringy from him. And look, nothing against Cejudo the fighter, just won my damn yeah. heart. Cejudo the marketer, making me want to turn the channel. You think that's really him just letting loose? Yeah, I think I think he's just having fun with it, and I think he's just having fun, just just you know, um, just saying what what he wants to say, and and you know, he he knows that some of the things he says is corny, but at the end of the day. Um, it's those corny things that his, his camp champions behind and they get behind those things and it becomes a mantra for the camp and he performs well with it. You know, his support staff that he has in, in Arizona is, is, is state of the art. You know, he has great training and from, from top to bottom, he has, he has every single thing that, uh, a fighter at that level should have and more. It's not just the way he talks, though. Did you see him at the media day when he dressed up as a, yeah, as, the, as a clown as prince? As a clown, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, listen, listen. Like, I like that because here you have a guy, you know, who doesn't take himself so serious. One of the baddest men ever to do it, but he doesn't take himself serious. He can be called corny. He can be, he, he can, he can be the, 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 the bun of the jokes. And, and, that, and that, that, that says a lot to me about that person because – when you've accomplished what he's accomplished and, and you don't take yourself serious, that means that you have a true sense of who you are as a person. That's interesting. Um, I, I thought something really came interesting out of this fight, and it was Henry's interview with Ariel Hawani on Monday on ESPN, in which he, he was doing the corny shtick. He had, of course, his tra- you know trainer behind him with the white rim glasses and the two titles on his shoulders. But he was very forthcoming and said, hey, Dana, my pay doesn't increase. I'm willing to walk away. And I thought that was very interesting. And look, it's him. It's Henry shooting his shot. No different than when he was shooting a shot with Nikki Bella in the past couple months, <laughs> trying to make things happen on that end. And I don't hate you there, Henry. This is interesting, though, guys, because I don't think he has the same marketability. He's got potential. He's got great marketing potential. And he's finding he's climbing the ladder in his own potential. I'm going to give him that credit, right? Success is the best way to become famous and known. And he's got that. But with this sort of cringe, whether it's fake, whether it's the real him, it's not McGregor level in my eyes. So to sort of draw that line in the sand in the ESPN era where pay-per-view sales aren't as valuable. And by the way, I don't have proof that Henry Cejudo can sell pay-per-views on his own to basically say, Hey boss, pay me like a star. I'm walking away is an interesting next step for Henry. I mean, wise man, is he that star that can do that? And Dana's going to do anything but laugh at him behind the doors? Well, that's what I was going to say when you guys were talking about the star potential of him. I just think that we talked about it before this fight that this was too soon for him to be getting this kind of push and this kind of shot to be a double champion. Like, that class is elite, elite. McGregor, Nunez, uh, Cejudo now, and who was the other one? Uh, DC. Like, that's an elite group of fighters without Henry Cejudo yet. I think he's closing in on on growing into that star and he's building like you guys are saying to get there. But I just don't know if he is there yet. And I was going to say, I think the proof is in the pudding when they decided a month before the fight. Hey, we're going to add Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone to this card because we're kind of iffy on if this is going to sell a lot of pay-per-views or not, because there, quite frankly, there wasn't a lot of buzz about this fight. It was a great fight. It was a hardcore fan card. Yes. That's what I was telling Brian before the, the card. 
this weekend was hardcore fan central because it's all those underground names that we all love to watch because we know who these guys are and they need to get the push to the to the masses and to the casual fans. But without Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone, I don't know what this pay-per-view does because it's just another pay-per-view. So Rashad, you know? yeah. can you knock on Dana's door without having that proven success of a pay-per-view salesman and say, look, on just success alone – you got to pay me. I mean, Demetrius Johnson had a lot of success and never really got paid. Is there is there a, tr- a track record here for this to work for Cejudo? Yeah, I, I, I totally get what you guys are saying. You know, um, two aspects. You know, for for one, you know, I think he does deserve to get paid just because of accomplishment alone. But then at the same time, if we we equate that to to what that means as far as being able to bring viewers to the table, he doesn't do that yet. But did this set the table for him to become a bigger draw? Who knows? Here's the reality of the situation. We're we're dealing with something in the 125, the 135, and the 145 weight classes. You know that these guys they're, they're very entertaining. They they do they do bring a lot. Now, now think about this. In my opinion, I would say two of the best fighters to ever wear the gloves ever were were, were Demetrius Johnson and he beat Demetrius Johnson, and 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 another one. Um, you know, a really, really good fighter who dropped, he beat, you know, TJ Dillashaw, you know, I mean, you know, his, his, his brand has been tarnished a bit and there's going to be an asterisk because of what, what happened. But at the end of the day, you cannot deny his skill level. You cannot deny what, what he's done in the octagon. So we're looking at a guy who, who's been able to do away with both of those guys and then do beat a Marlon Marais. So when it comes to beating and, and competing against the toughest of the toughest, he's done that and he's shown that he can beat the best of the best. Now, um, what what it means as far as with the UFC, can, how, how do they sell it? How do they package it? That means that they have to start to, you know, start to build up these these smaller guys as as more of a as more of a star. But the reality of the situation is, you know, we like the big guys because, you know, people feel like they're intimidating. They're big. You know, I'm like, wow, that guy's big. He can kick my, he can it's kick what, my butt. It's what a fighter's supposed to look yeah, like. Yeah, it's what a fighter's supposed to look like. When you see these little guys who are very dynamic, you know, even though they're dynamic, it's hard to be like, ah, uh, this guy is the baddest man in the world, even though he may be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, that that's, that's definitely true. And, look, I think Dana and UFC still has to make a decision on flyweights, whether now with Cejudo's win, do you just let him run wild the bantamweight, which has a deep roster? Right. I know Cejudo said the idea of eventually going up to featherweight, too. And by the way, look, I don't think he should get that next or next or after that or next after that. But I'm not against if he becomes this star and has more performances like Saturday night, him getting that chance to become the first three division champion. Not bad at all. But, man, if you're Joseph Benavidez sitting at home and thinking, I beat that guy. I mean, you remember oh, what Joseph said right. to him that time. I used to all right, that was awkward. We don't have to play that again. But but here's the deal. He beat that guy. He should probably get the next flyweight title shot. I don't know if there will be a next flyweight title shot. Mikey, what do you got? BC, if Frankie Edgar beats Max Holloway when they fight, then I feel like the UFC almost has to set it up. Oh, God. But Just... that's giving somebody a chance who... Quite frankly, even with this three-fight win streak, Henry Cejudo does not deserve today to be your first three-division champion. You could argue he didn't deserve the chance on Saturday night yet. That used to be rarefied air, right? No, yeah. So wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me understand. So when we talk about deserve, what does it mean to deserve? Because each and every single time that these title fights came where somebody became champ, champ, it wasn't like something they deserved. It's kind of just like something that kind of materialized and just. Kind well, it happened. goes back to this, and I'm being critical here. I get that. But for years, Rashad, 
UFC had been on a stance, and it goes back to the the idea of Jose Aldo as featherweight champion facing Anthony Pettis as lightweight champion. They both wanted it. UFC going, no, we don't do that. I think they had bad memories of the GSP-BJ Penn rematch. BJ got his butt kicked, kind of was never the same, went back down in weight. Then suddenly last year, it's like there's no rules. UFC's like, man, I don't care how we're going to get these pay-per-view buys. We're going to get them. Oh, this champ's going to fight that champ for no reason. The idea of champion versus champion used to only be there. And maybe I'm old school and this makes no sense. But it used to only be there if both guys had cleaned out their respective divisions. And the best fight you can make is between them. And you go, you know what? Let's put these I guys totally together. Agree. And when you start doing that in situations where it doesn't make sense, now, look, Conor McGregor was a giant star. He was probably rising to lightweight anyway. I didn't hate on that. But there's other situations where I'm sort of like, why are you giving TJ Dillashaw that chance even at that point? Why are you giving Cejudo that chance? Both were in divisions that had names. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. And look, you can do the hipster no. argument against Cejudo and say, I didn't think he beat DJ. And then they traded DJ. DJ never got a chance to run that back. It's all subjective in the end. Yeah, no, no, BC, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And, and at the end of the day, what you do have to worry about is the simple fact that when you have all these different champions coming up to to challenge for the belt, if they do win, it does jam up the weight class because now that champion has to defend two two belts, you know, and, and, and how is he going to do that? So that that's the one thing that I can um, I can say. And then another thing I can say is that, you know, if it, it can it can, you know, do some damage to the weight class that. That like say for instance that Henry Cejudo goes up at 135 and he he does well at 145 and he he wins at 145 you know now now what does that mean for everybody at 145 you know what I'm saying it yeah just, you got you got a hijack division like trash exactly and and that becomes a problem and look again Max Holloway going up to lightweight when lightweight right now is the deep, historically deep all killer no filler historically deep and you're sort of adding Max for no reason. And then he takes a hard loss, and you're like, what is the future for him? By the way, it's a, it's a complicated matter. They don't pay me to promote. They only pay me to complain. It is, but, but, here's, but here's the thing that, that that's, uh, I guess, intriguing about this, and, and, and it goes back to what makes the UFC the UFC is the fact that there's really no other you know promotion or, or professional sports where you, you're going to be able to make like, – like the fans really get to say, oh, I want to see this happen, and, and then it actually happens. you know. So that's what – I can say that that's pretty cool about these matchups that happen there. They're what the fans want to see, but as being a purist to the sport, um, you know, sometimes it, it does definitely hurt the sport. It's just hard but when the- we get into historical debates. One second, wise. It's hard when uh, when we go because if somebody gets afforded the opportunity to fight for two titles where someone else didn't, it's like, well, is Cejudo historically further ahead of them? I heard right. Dana White in an interview with Brett Okamoto on Friday. Where he was like, they, Brett's like, what do you do if Cejudo wins two belts? And Dana's like, I think he could be the first guy to defend both on a regular basis. He goes, we haven't had that before in UFC where someone's been able to do that. And I'm thinking, hey, Dana, you stripped Connor immediately when he won two belts. You stripped DC almost immediately because John Jones was ready to come back from USADA. You're letting Amanda have two belts for no rhyme or reason. If it's all up to you, bro, if you want Cejudo to defend both, he's going to do it. So I think we just want a little more transparency in this right. when you're going to start saying, well, this guy's the greatest combat fighter of all time, or was he just opportunistic? Why is what he got? Well, that was what I was going to say is like you were just talking about how deep lightweight is. We found out again this weekend, bantamweight's not far behind mm-hmm. because like we've been talking about, the dynamic striking in this division right now is insane. Yes. Like all of those guys who fought this weekend, Al Aljamain Sterling, Pedro Munoz, Marlon Moraes, Peter Yan, Jimmy Rivera, all of them are elite strikers. And 
they'd showed it this weekend. And all of them were deserving of title shots. That's why we had so much issue with Henry Cejudo getting this chance now was because you've got a division full of guys who can fight and should yeah. be champions. And you got lingering names. Caliber. You got the Cody's, the Dom Cruz's, the maybe a favor. You have some lingering names, too, if you wanted to get creative just on, on ticket sales, too. So that's like our biggest issue is that we don't understand why. Like, if you want to make Henry the star and push him like that, then we get it. Like, we understand you trying to get rid of the flyweight division, which, by the way, based on how he was talking, he's not going back to flyweight. He's not defending that belt. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like, wouldn't if I was him either. And I would, nah. same thing with Connor going back to featherweight back then. No need to cut down like that when you're making more money moving up. I mean, I get that here. But, wise, I want you to bring up the debate that you, you texted me offline today. This is a great yeah. question based on this. Go ahead. So, I saw this online Saturday night after the fight happened. They somebody Somebody was asking the question, is there a better three-fight winning streak in UFC history than what Cejudo has done right now? When you factor in, he beat Mighty Mouse in the rematch, even though BC still doesn't think he won. He beats TJ Dillashaw, who was one of their best bantamweight champions ever. And now he beats Marlon Moraes, who people probably don't realize, but was a World Series of Fighting champion for a while before that, that organization folded. Do you think of a better – Well, better... Folded, Folded's a little harsh. I mean, you can check out the PFL on ESPN2 every, every couple of weeks, bro, all right? It's not called World Series of Fighting, though. Don't anymore. make me get Ray Seffo after your ass. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so is there – do you think of another set of three fights, uh, three wins in a row – that are better than that. And I, I did a little bit of research before. Yeah, let me, I, I want to answer that first, okay? And, and that's a trick okay. question, Rashad. We didn't give him a chance to remet, to research <laughs> it like we did. But Rashad, when he asked me that, top of my head, I go, look, whether I think he beat Johnson or not, who cares? That's great for Cejudo. He's in this conversation, at least. But my knee-jerk reaction is your old stomping mate, John Jones. And whether you want to pick the Shogun Machida Rampage trio or the Rampage Machida, Rashad Evans trio, or Brandon then brings up, well, hey, how about the Gustafson, uh, who's the second guy? Teixeira. Glover, Glover. And then DC trio. Those three are pretty damn badass. That's, that's the first thing that jumps out to me. And consider that John Jones beat, by the way, three of those, meaning, meaning Rampage, Machida, and Rashad Evans in a seventh month span. I'm picking John Jones in this debate if I got a vote. Yeah, I, I will pick John Jones too. I mean, just because of, I mean, what, what John Jones has done and continue to do, it just, it just remains remarkable. But I mean, second, I, I would, you would have to give it to TJ. I mean, not TJ, you would have to give it to, uh, to Henry, yeah. Henry, Henry for sure. You know, I mean, you know, beating, beating DJ alone was, 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 was amazing. But, you know, even in that fight, it was super close. But then you, then he goes up and then he, then, then that goes up, then he fights TJ and the way he finished TJ, it, it really said something. It really that that fight really said something. But this fight with Marlon, it, it said the most to me because it wasn't just about skill. It was about that that intangible that that makes someone super special, and and he showed that. And and when an athlete has the ability to do what Henry has done, you know you you got to be able to say this guy is 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 different than everybody else. So it's like John Jones when he's able to beat, you know, the people he beat in a seven month span. This guy's different. Yeah. Just some of the is. other ones that we we were talking about before. To me, Amanda Nunes is three three fight stretch of beating uh Valentina Shevchenko, Misha Tate, and then Ronda Rousey in a row. That's badass. Yeah. I mean that's incredible to me because those are three former champions and 
some of the hardest hitting women we've seen in UFC. Yeah, you know? I, I would say the same thing, but it's I think it's when she beat them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think that I That's think that the thing with the the thing about the women is this right here is that you know we're watching women. These women are just evolving so fast, and I think that you know um, you know the the women that that we see today fighting now we've seen it with Shevchenko. She's a lot different than she came into the UFC, and she's a lot better than she came to UFC. Her her grappling is is so much better. Her wrestling, you know, is so much better. And her striking is so much better. She has a, a patience that you didn't really see before, you know, and she's and she she knows how to fight her fight. And that's what happens when you get into the octagon more and more. So I think that, you know, w- with with Nunez and a lot of the women that, you know, they're still growing into what a lot of the guys fighters have have been doing for a long time. And that and John Jones, by the way, was coming up in what I think is the deepest, except for lightweight right now, the deepest division in UFC history has ever been, Rashad, was light heavyweight when you were on top. I yeah, mean, let's be honest. absolutely. I mean, yeah, it was deep. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, the real answer to this question, which of course has an asterisk next to it, so it can't be the <laughs> answer, but the real answer is 2013 Mohawk TRT Vitor Belfort, who was taking basically like uh, rocket fuel and injecting it into his <laughs> eyelids before each bout. I mean, he had spinning wheel kick knockouts of what? Bizping, uh, Luke Rockhold, and Hendo? Good, yeah. Yeah. good lord. I mean, Rashad, luckily you yeah. didn't have to cross paths yeah. with that guy <laughs> in 2013. I mean, he was, he, was, he was on my team at that time, so. Only I, I took the hard kicks in practice. Oh my <laughs> god! I mean, do you remember the one on Rockhold? It, that's like physically impossible. How tight the spin was on that kick. I mean, like, are you kidding yeah, he, me? Yeah, v, Vitor was dynamic. With, with, wow. With I see. You know what? Actually, if my training camp for hashtag Campbell Wise doesn't go up to my expectations here, Rashad, I'm not calling you for advice. I'm calling Vitor to find <laughs> out if he's got any phone numbers left from 2013. Because I'll juice be wise. I will. I'll come after you. All right. It's it's, it's a trendy thing these days. All right. You're still not going to be fast enough. Thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much. All right. A couple other guys were in that conversation as well. I mean, the, the runs from Jose Aldo, Max Holloway recently, Tito Ortiz, by the way, beat Vitor Forrest Griffin and Shamrock in succession. Maybe Ken Shamrock was washed. You know what? He still is. Anyway, we got to roll on and keep this going here. The co-main event. I mean, look, we talked about the MVP of the night. It was Henry Cejudo. But good Lord, Valentino Shevchenko tried to become that with a violent, as violent yeah. goes. I mean, this was like a Wow, this was like a box yeah. of violence here. That spinning kick to knock out Jessica I in round two, full-on shin bone to the dome. Wow. So here's, uh, look, Rashad, these days in podcasting and journalism, which you're a major part of, you do great work, the Fox in the past, ESPN Thank as well. You. Um, you know, we always have to have hot takes. No one can just win something without us quantifying it by saying, it's not the best ever. Here's the deal. I know Amanda Nunez is the best of all time, the GOAT, and I believe in that. She is. Valentina, after this performance, is kind of knocking on your door and saying, I might be the pound-for-pound best right now, guys, because ask Brian Campbell, I beat Amanda Nunez in the rematch, and I haven't lost since, and I'm beating everybody, and I'm a killer at 125. Tell me I'm crazy. Convince me otherwise. I have a question real fast. Is Are these two, meaning Shevchenko and Nunez, are they going to go down as... DC and John Jones did where they are one a and one B of their respective time. But that B fighter can't beat the a fighter. That's a great question. You're saying is Chev DC. It. That's what you're saying right now. It, it, yes. It's Chev DC and Nunez would be John Jones. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. I mean, I, I, I really think that Shevchenko, she's, she's still growing and she's gotten so much better. 
you know, in, in the UFC, um, her striking, I really love her striking just because of the simple fact that when you watch her strike, it's super, super clean. But what's impressive, that, um, what's so impressive to me about it is how she lets off her combination. There's no wind up. There's no, there's nothing. It's just straight, you know, from, you know, point A to point B and it's fast and she keeps them coming fast and she's able to see a lot, you know, cause she's not having her hands in motion. She keeps her hands stationary. They're not a lot of action moving with her hands until she's ready to fire. And, and, and when she's ready to fire, she lets go of these accurate shots. And if she doesn't catch you with one of these accurate shots, she's going to be able to take you down and dominate you with a takedown. And when she gets people down on the ground, she's not taking people down and getting into their guard. She's taking people down in full side guard position. Yes. And for a lot of women, that is a really hard position to get in because she gets in there with a full body lock and she's chest to chest and she's tight on these girls. And that was what I saw in that first round on Saturday was – she gets the takedown on I, is in control, swiftly moves to side control, and then into top, straight into top mount. And it was just like in one fluid motion where yeah. you just don't see that. So if she's able to bring that kind of ground game now into the picture, I think a third fight with Amanda is going to be oh, yeah. crazy. Look, well, that's yeah. a conversation we got to unwrap in a second. That That's the big spinoff on here. But getting to see her do this at 125, I think is just raising her pound for pound profile at such an alarmingly fast level because – at 35, she was undersized, and she was smart. She was an insanely good counterpuncher. Revisit the fight with Holly Holm, in which she just technically just picked Holly apart and did things to Holly that really not too many others have been able to do. But at 25, guys, she's a destroyer. I mean, she's just yeah. walking people down. Remember, she was a slow starter at Bantamweight. That first yep. fight against Amanda, she figured Amanda out at UFC 196, but she didn't really start putting it on till round three. Even in the rematch, by the way, I still think she won. She kind of started too late, didn't do enough early. Rashad, why at 25 is she just a destroyer? Is it just comfortability and the size difference now? Yes, it's definitely the size difference. You know, when you're, when you're going in a fight and you know that you're the smaller fighter or typically not the stronger fighter, then that, then that affects the way you fight. Your fighting style is totally different. But when you go in a fight and you know that, you know what? I'm the bigger, stronger fighter in there. You go in there and you fight like it. And that's what she does. She go in there and she fights like it. She stays in the center of the octagon and she doesn't move. And she goes in there and she makes sure that, you know, she's putting the right pressure on the girls. And, you know, one thing that she, her, her, her patience inside the octagon is, is really what makes, is unnerving because a lot of, a lot of the women, they start to throw when they're not ready. And like I said before, she doesn't, she doesn't cock or, or, any of her strikes so she just goes right away and um when she's putting that pressure on these girls throwing it out ready she's able to catch them with all kinds of punches and and, and combinations and um i just think at 125 i don't think there's the caitlin caitlin chukagan caitlin chukagan is somebody that that can uh you know i think that can give her a fight but or or give her a challenge but I still think that, you know, Caitlin still has some some growth to do, even if she's going to compete against her. Yeah, look, the 125 cupboard is bare. And I don't care what – when Shevchenko was on the show last week, and she was great, and she says there's plenty of challenge there. There's not. So that's why we're going to get into an Amanda Nunez discussion in a second. And look, Jessica, I had a great story to finally be fighting at her own weight class to win three in a row to get into this spot. But if this division was deeper, I don't think Jessica I was getting that chance on Saturday night. So it's not – Exactly what she did to I and look, that knockout is insanely great and violent. And it was brilliant how she set that up even in round one with those hard kicks to the body. But really, I think the discussion is larger of how good Shevchenko really is. And I don't think she's ever going to really prove that. 
until she goes back up to 35, like you said, Brandon, yeah, and runs it a third time with Nunez. And look, we got an interview with Amanda Nunez that's coming in the next few weeks. I did it in Fort Lauderdale with Brandon when I was down there. Amanda was great. She basically says, nah, I have no need to fight her a third time. Amanda said, I tried to cut down to 125 to see if I could do it to try to take Shevchenko's belt, which, by the way, is insane. She said, I couldn't do it. So I have no need to fight her. Amanda said she wants to fight Holly. She wants to rematch Cyborg, which may be difficult because of Cyborg's contract. And then she wants out. We asked Valentina last week. She says, oh, yeah, I'll move back up and fight, face her. That's the only challenge available to her. And I think we kind of need to see it happen. I love the comparison, Mikey, on the idea of this being a Jones-DC type of rivalry. But I think Valentina is going to find pretty quick there's nobody in this division. I mean, yeah. uh, there's nobody. There's nobody that moves me. Macy Barber's not ready. And, uh, you know, I like Montana De La Rosa. I like a couple of these girls, but there's no challenge there. So if you're UFC and you want to do one versus two pound for pound with a history there, let's do this back a third fight at 135. But can Valentina do anything different? I mean, look, I thought she edged the second one, but she's going to have to win demonstratively here, you would think, to get a to get a, a win over the greatest in Amanda Nunes. It would be such a fascinating fight. No, it'd definitely be a fascinating fight. But I think the fact that, you know, you're watching um Shevchenko grow in this weight class, meaning the fact that she's getting more comfortable with her skill level. She's mastering her skill level. And that's what it comes down to with an athlete. It's like I can go in there and, and I can, you know, um I can I can fight pretty good, but it's not until I reach my level of mastery, meaning the fact that I feel absolutely comfortable with every single skill that comes out that that I do, and that's what you're seeing Shevchenko do now. You know, at 135, you still think that she, you still can see that she was working on her wrestling, and it was still growing, and it was getting to where it is now. But now you see it's a different type of wrestling because she she has much more of a direction when she gets a person to the ground. It's more systematic. It's much more fluid. And you see her just growing. Now, a couple fights here at 125, when she goes back up to 135, if she goes up to 135 and fight Amanda Nunes, you're going to be looking at a different fight. I think that's also part of it is that it's been two years. It'll at least have been two years since that second re- that rematch where it was a split decision. And it's just time and growth. Like I just think that she's, like you said, she's growing as a fighter. She's developing her striking even more, which is terrifying as it is. <laughs> and her wrestling is getting better. So I know that Amanda has like a, one of the greatest teams to work with and that she had the perfect game plan for Chris Cyborg last year. I think that she would just put together another crazy good game plan against Valentina where she's just able to disarm those kicks and not allow any of those crazy strikes to land. But man, dude, Valentina's confidence is through the damn roof. So maybe you're right. Maybe part of this evolution of going down to 125 was rounding out her game, but mentally just becoming this, in a good way, almost this robot of confidence. Uh, Last week on the show, you heard her, Brandon. I asked her, how did it feel to finally be called champion after you beat Young Jacek to have the belt around her waist? And she almost defiantly was like, um... I'm a 17-time world Muay Thai champion. I've been a champion before. This is what I do. This is my life. It was almost like, hey, that's great that I'm UFC champion now, but I'm always going for that belt. I'm always a champion. I, I am who I am supposed to be. And it, it was a reminder of people get into the sport in different ways. She started wow. fighting when she was five. Her mom was a, was a fighting champion and instructor. She added all the disciplines together systematically over time. I mean, she's the complete package in so many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the, the best part about it is that she, she lives the life of a fighter. Her and her sister, you know, they, they spend a lot of time in Thailand. And, you know, that's all they do is train. And when you live, breathe, 
and sleep fighting, you know, you're going to have the kind of growth that she has because it's your life. And some people have non-negotiables when they meet a girl. If I see a girl with a cigarette in her mouth when I was single, I'm like, that's not for me. But look, Rashad, we see a, a, a lady that tough with a firearm tattoo on her midriff. I, I don't know about you. You know, I kind of like it. I mean, they come to the show for this type of analysis, Rashad. Right, don't right. back away from it. All right. Ease right into it, by the way. Brandon Wise Ease wants right no part it. of it. No part of it. Wow. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. It's fantastic when. I mean, maybe she gets like a Liz Carmouche next, but you really have just retreads in that division until we see who can rise up, who can be it. Let's go on down this card, guys. The people's main event, the one we wanted to see. And by the way, Ariel Hawani can step off with this. I came up with the people's main event idea and everybody else needs to bow to me. Um, The Rock, that's the answer we got for you. The Rock, thank you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone. Uh, there's no controversy, guys. I don't, I, I, I get Tony being humble afterwards. Yes, he landed a shot after round two. It was late. It was on the nose. He was rightfully warned by Dan Marigliotta, the referee. But him saying, I'll run it back if I need to. Dana saying, we're considering running it back. Stop it, guys. Stop it. What else does Tony Ferguson have to do? Cerrone's face was falling apart. Cerrone is as tough as they come. He would have fought through anything. But he got saved from himself. And I think him blowing his nose, wrong wrong time to do it. I think it's it, it was a it helped him in the end. That was a good stop this fight. My man's is getting beat up in there. Tony Ferguson, twelve wins in a row. I mean, no offense to Dustin Poirier. Can we get Tony on a plane to Abu Dhabi right now? Give this guy a title. Just make him the champion. No one deserves it ever more in the history of this sport. I don't care what's going on outside of the cage. I don't care if there's restraining orders. This guy is unfriggin' flappable. First of all, how dare you? Khabib Nurmagomedov is the champion right, right now. Disrespect. What are you talking Disrespectful. about? Disrespectful. <laughs> he, he earned his belt after you picked Conor McGregor in that fight. I, I need did. to remind I you. I did. I'll take the L. I take the hard <laughs> L's, all right? I'm not afraid to. I'll stand up to him. Look, send me the location of the L. I will be ready. This is not <laughs> No, you know, but, but listen, though. I mean, I mean, I, 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 told, I totally get what you're saying, but at the same time, you know, you, you, can't, you can't forget the fact that, you know, it, it is a three-round fight, and this is MMA. And, and you can get the brain, your brains beat up the, the one round, but then come back out and, and catch your, catch your opponent with something and completely change it around. So Donald clearly won the first round. The yes. second round, it was a landslide and, and you seen Tony start to run away with it. You started to see what Tony does, what Tony does. And if the second round was any foretelling what was going to happen in the third round, then it was a foregone conclusion that Tony was going to win the fight. But the reality is that third round never happened. And the truth of the matter is, it did get stopped because of a foul. And, and no, no, listen, no, listen, not not because of a foul, but part of the damage that he sustained that made him blow his nose was a late shot. Interesting. That's unde that's undeniable. I, I get it. I get it. But and I get that it was an illegal strike, and they could have taken away a point. Instead, they went. He could, the he could, of have, the he could have lost that fight because of that. <sighs> See, I hate. Strike. I hate that. That a fight can I, be. I hate it too, but that's the. the I mean, you remember Roy Jones, Montel rules. Griffin won. Roy hits that punch yeah. when Montel's on his knee. You have to, you have to disqualify him for that. You can't just give the guy five minutes, take a point away, whatever. Right. <laughs> I mean, we are lucky, by the way, that Anthony Smith didn't get that DQ title win against John Jones. That's why, probably, why the UFC loves this guy. Keep rewarding him. I'm, I, I cannot stand the idea of fights ending on that. I thought the replay was enough. It hit him in the nose, not the eye. But I get what you're saying. Did that trigger the need to blow his nose? Maybe. My point is, you've seen the face shots of the last seven guys to face Tony Ferguson. It looks like uh, photos from a murder scene. 
Donald's right. face was falling apart. He was done. Ferguson yeah. won that damn fight. I don't need asterisks. I don't need a rematch. I need Tony Ferguson in a title shot before well, he turns that's 40. The thing about it. It, it, it's, I mean, they've been set up to fight three times. <laughs> four, I mean, times. Four, four. four times. Four times. Four times. Like, there's, there's something that God is saying that this fight <laughs> should never happen. What do I have to do? I mean, I mean, that's divine intervention four times. That doesn't happen. Or you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's just God saying, look, Mayweather Pacquiao style, we're going to just stretch this thing out so when it stretch happens, it it'll be the biggest <laughs> no fight in the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah may, may, maybe so. Maybe so. But, I mean, here, here's one thing I love about Tony. Tony is is one of those athletes who, you know, he, he's, he completely challenges himself, and he's not afraid to be weird. He's not afraid to go out there and do what no one else is able to do or try to do things that people are not able to do or say things that people are not saying and things like that he he puts himself out there for all of it you know and and i respect that as an athlete uh but at the same time you know you know this, this game the sport it is a game and it's a sport and you have to be able to play the game you have to be able to play the game and uh you know sometimes i feel like tony could play the game a little bit better a little bit interesting did you think he did you think he came across poorly in the end at the end of that fight where Dan Mergliata was telling him like, Hey, you shouldn't have done that. And he was like, oh, whatever kind of thing. And then he's telling Rogan, go talk to cowboy. Don't talk no, he to was me. Humble after I thought he was, he, I don't, he said, he, I don't care. He just seemed next. like, no, nah, yeah, he, 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 he was, he was, he was, it, to me, it seemed like he was a little bit more disappointed just, just because, you know, he's been on asylum for a long time and then he didn't go out there and, 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 uh, it didn't feel the way that he thought it would feel, even though he, I thought he had a great performance. Yeah. It just was not that the one, that he probably envisioned himself. He wanted, you know? he wanted to finish it. Yeah, himself. he wanted, he wanted to finish it. I mean, he, he's been through, he's been through it this last, this last little bit, you know, before, you know, he, he's been through a whole lot. He's almost had his whole, whole fight life taken away just because of things that happened outside the octagon, you know, but, you know, now he's back in there. Now he's back in there. And, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he's making a case for himself and hopefully he, he stays, you know, in the position where he can continue to keep making a case for himself and he does get a chance to finally felt fight for the belt that he uh, rightfully deserves to fight for. Rashad, I always consider one of the intangibles of the great ones, the, the real great ones, is that when their life is blowing up around them, yet they're able to focus on their job and be better inside the fighting surface. Uh, despite that, whether it's Floyd Mayweather, whether it's John Jones, as things are negatively piling up around them, they can yeah. go in there and produce their best possible performances. Is that truly an intangible of a great one, or is it actually easier when things kind of suck outside the cage to focus that much more inside of it? No, I think I think it's an intangible because what you have to understand is the fact that when you're going through everything outside of the cage and you're having these these moments, it's it's a mental it's a mental drain. You know, when you're having problems outside, you have a problem with a family member, a wife, or a girlfriend, or whatever the case may be. You know, arguing with that person. It takes up mental space, you know, and if you're if you're 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 doing that and still having to train for a fight, then that becomes very difficult. So, you know, I, I've been through, you know, personal things, hard things in my life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I fought good and sometimes I fought terrible. And it all depends on how I internalize it, how 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 I was where where I was at mentally, you know, going into that that situation with, you know, with uh with that fight. Like, for instance, like if I was. Like when I was going through divorce, I was going through divorce with my wife uh, when I was training for a fight with John Jones. And it was it was a hard thing to do, you know, because I felt like, um, you know, I couldn't give that whole situation the attention that I needed to. But at the same time, I had this very, uh, very hurtful um, situation with 
Greg Greg uh, Jackson and, oh, yeah. and and John Jones and everything too, and and they were like family to me. So you know, it was it was hurting on both sides. You know what I'm saying? And and it was uh, it added up to me and it, and it hurt me in, in different ways that I didn't even foresee. But it take it takes it takes um, a lot mentally to be able to deal with what you have going on personally and still go on there and fight the way that these guys are able to do. That's very interesting. I like that take. And, and certainly Ferguson between the recent personal stuff, between that knee injury that he came back on like four month time before fighting Pettis, yeah. the guys we, 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 in a good way, we always say Ferguson's crazy, meaning he's so dialed in. So almost sadistically in love with pain that he's that hard to beat. But man, there's some real mental toughness behind all that spin jitsu or whatever he's talking about. I mean, this guy is, is the real when it comes to those. I mean, good God, Mike, Mikey, this guy's the craziest guy in fighting. I say that he's with crazy. Life. And I, I, uh, I was thinking about it after the fight on Sunday and I was sitting there and I completely understood his frustration after the fight. He's been through, like Rashad was saying, these highs and lows of fighting these past couple of years where he's been at the top level. He's getting hurt. He can't find people to accept fights. And now he goes out there and puts on a good performance against Donald Cerrone. And the first thing he's here, he hears is all the fans booing him. So it's like, Hey, I just, I just worked four months for, or I just worked two months for my training camp. I just worked before that to get back in shape so that my knee is 85% so that I could take this fight against Pettis. Like he's been working so hard and then to win that fight and to hear all the fan or to hear fans boo you, I think it probably just, it frustrated him a lot. Yeah. It, it's, it's hurtful because as an athlete, like, you know, the fighting is so, amazingly hard because of the mental aspect of it and me and mikey was talking about it before uh the show you know the mental aspect of a fight is is probably the hardest because you when you have a fight and you have those past fights where you get knocked out or you get embarrassed in a cage in some kind of way it forms like a a sense of ptsd in your mind you know post-traumatic stress and when next time you have to go out there and fight you have to overcome that mental hurdle you know, because when you're when you're in there, you're like, OK, well, hopefully that doesn't happen last time. You're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm in shape. I train. And then you get in there and then you start getting hit with a couple of shots and you you black out and you're like, oh, I got hit with a shot. This is what happened last time when I got knocked out. Then that's when the fight becomes, because now it's a fight against yourself. You're fighting yourself. You're fighting your own thoughts. So now you're like, you know what? I'm fine. I'm OK. I got to stick to the game plan and get the job done. Damn. That's uh, that's the fight right there. That's ninety percent mental, mental fight, this game. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it's it's a mental game. So when when you see guys like like Tony and these guys and, and 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 some of these guys who have to overcome so much getting into the octagon, you know, it, it's 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 that's the fight right there. Like for me, and that's one thing I will always miss about fighting is the mental roller coaster of winning a fight uh, against myself. Meaning the fact that I went. And I beat myself. I went and I and I and I worked past those insecurities that I was feeling. You know, I, I worked past the feeling that that reporter said I was gonna get my butt whooped or whatever the case may be. All these things I'm working past, and at the end of the day, it's like I beat myself. I finally, and that's what feels good about winning. Yeah, when yeah. you're able to mentally beat yourself. See us, us, us regular folk. We can't. I mean, I'll understand it for Campbell Wise hashtag, <laughs> but we we don't understand beating ourselves. Actually, we we do, but it's normally under these situations. You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. Wow, that's weird, Jake Hager. Thank you. Don't ever say that again. Um, uh, Brandon, we don't need a rematch, though. Can we just put that? Can we bury that conversation? We don't need a rematch. No, we did not need a rematch. That that was what was most interesting to me was that. 
I was I was interested in Rashad saying that he thought Cowboy won that first round pretty clearly because to me it was pretty close to even. Like Cowboy was landing well, but every time I looked up, Tony was landing strong on his chin and snapping his head around. So I, I, I like Donald's volume. It was a close round, I'll give you that. But I like Cerrone's volume, and and then man, dude. But then in that second round, yeah, he just took him apart with his jab. It's scary, like, dude. Ferguson's unorthodox mixed with the the volume is just it's insane. So I and I found that interesting when you guys are saying about the the punch in the nose conspiracy theory alert. I think Donald did that intentionally because he didn't want to go that third round, even though he oh, has the whole. Whoa, I, I want to go. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, about the high. <laughs> whoa, bro. Are you gonna let me do it, or are you just gonna keep going? Go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so his eye was already swelling up to the point where he could barely see out of it, and his other eye was starting to get swelling as well. He was trying to pull it open as much as he could, but I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, does he just kind of know at this point? He's got his kid now. He's been very vocal about this is all for him. This is all about making a living and a life for him after the career. Did he want to save himself because? He's not young anymore. He's a veteran. All right, like, you supported it well. I'm still in woe mode because it's yeah, cowboy, bro. It's, it's freaking cowboy. Yeah, it's, here, but here, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I can hear what you're saying. I can hear what you're saying. But as a fighter, when you're in there and the smoke's on you and you yep. got, you're in the battle, you're in the fighter, you're, you're in the fight, none of that goes through your mind. You're not thinking about like, oh, man, I got my kid at home. I want to make sure that he's okay. You're like, yo. This dude just punched me in the face. I'm in the middle of this fight. I got to find a way to win this fight because I've been training to win this fight. Like there's been times, there's been times where I've been getting straight blasted every round. But I'm like, yo, I got a chance this round. When I was fighting, when I was fighting John Jones, John Jones, he he uh, took over after the third round. So that means for two rounds, I had you know to take and take it. Mm-hmm. But every single time I came out that round, I'm like, yo, I got this. Even though. From from you know from from the uh, outside looking in, it may not look like I was, you know, what still in there. But you got like I, I don't think as a fighter, you think like that. You 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 just take that. But you don't think that he could feel the pace that Tony was fighting with, where it was just kind of like we're looking at Cowboy the way that we looked at him before this winning streak that he went on, where he looked slow, he looked plodding with his striking, he wasn't being dynamic, he was being very flu- like everything was just rigid. There was no I'm going to be able to stick and move with him because Tony's so unorthodox, like BC said, where he's not standing in one place. He's all over you. He's throwing spinning back elbows and you don't even see it coming. You don't think that any of that went through his mind where he's just like, I can't even see him anymore. You know, like, no, I mean, I mean, when you, when you fought as long as cowboy, like you, you know, like that's, that's just what happens. And especially like, I can understand if he didn't have any success, but he had success in the first round. So if you have success in the first round, if you have success in any point in the fight, you're thinking like, you know what? All I need to do this to get back to the success. Because here's the thing about it. Tony was hitting him a lot, but he was also hitting Tony a lot too. He, he, was. he, was, also, he was also able to touch Tony. I appreciate to the balls him. that you had on this show to call out Cowboy's heart, though. I do appreciate that take. But here's the thing. Like DC, Cowboy's a warrior. It doesn't matter if his jab isn't working. doesn't matter if his takedown game isn't working, as long as one thing is working. I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack. But my dick works. My dick works. <laughs> still works, Brando, all right? I'm not, I'm not counting out Cowboy in any fight. All right. You're going to learn that that's his favorite drop in the world, by the way. <laughs> anyway, uh, big win there. So really quick. Uh, to to book the damn territory. It's Habib. It's Poirier. September Abu Dhabi. Don't do anything. 
Don't yeah. do anything UFC, but let Tony rest up and face the winner. Unless, drum roll, please. Hello, Mr. Ferguson. It's Disney. We would love for you to face Conor McGregor in a pay-per-view main event. Yes, we'll float you an interim belt. We don't care. We're going to need you to fight Conor at MSG. See, I don't like that fight. I don't like that fight because here's the thing about it. Like, I don't know. I, I think that will it be interesting? Yeah, it'd be interesting. But I, I like the uh, cowboy in Donald, a uh, cowboy in in in, uh, in um, Connor Connor fight more. I like that fight more just because you know you know cowboy is gonna gonna bring a fight, and you know um, you know uh, dang Connor's gonna bring a fight as well yeah. too. But at the same time, you know both of these guys are in a position where you know, you want to see a comeback. You want to see him win. I think that if Tony comes in there and he fights Connor, he just puts a nail in old Connor. And, and then, then the whole whatever Connor is and everything, his whole branding, it, it takes a tremendous hit. I'm with you. you know? And, and I think that Connor is important for the sport. So I think that you, you put him with somebody like, like Donald where, you know, um, he, he has he had a better chance. Yeah, I mean, there's no get well fights. Truth, in the sport, truthfully but. speaking, I mean, I'm not. Here's, here's no. the thing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he has a better chance against Donald than he does against Tony. You damn right. And this is a division of killers. Like it'd be great creative matchmaking. You go, all right, we'll give Connor Justin Gage G. No, no, don't put him anywhere near that psychopath. All right, we don't want to kill this brand. Look, I need Connor back in the cage. All right, I need I it. We, we, yeah, Connor, Connor's good to have. And listen, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, Connor, he's he he's he's fought the best. He's fought the best in a weight class, and he's taken some some losses because of it, but he he uh he definitely needs to get a win back and i think that if he doesn't get a win pretty soon it's it's not going to be good for his brand at brandon all. Well, it's, a be, it's a better that, sport when he's in there doing big fights it is brandon i don't care what you say well that's what we were saying though before this was that when connor when connor when tony got i said it again when donald got on this run that he was on it was like hey the connor fight is starting to make more sense now yeah, like absolutely. there was actually a build towards He's starting to put it together at 155 again. He looks legitimately good again to the point where it's like, is that more of a toss-up fight than people think when he if he fights Connor? So get this Tony Connor stuff out of here because I just don't see that being competitive at all. No. It's the same way with Khabib because there's a different level of 155 to me than where Connor is, and yeah. we and, and I just don't think Connor is going to be as dynamic at that weight with tony because tony can just do so much more and the, and not for nothing listen some people they say ring rust isn't real but when you sit out and you're not competing i don't care who you are it affects you yeah it, it, it it's it's going to affect you and especially if you're with somebody going against somebody who's been you know steady competing because there's a rhythm to competing there's a rhythm to feeling the octagon you know the the mat underneath your feet, feeling those lights and feeling the feeling of being in the being in the octagon. There's a feeling to it when you when you when you haven't been there in a while. You're just like, ooh, this feels weird. It feels like that, you know. And then and then now you have to fight, you know. Now you have to fight somebody on top of that and deal with the fact that it feels very foreign to you. So right. I think that that's one thing that Connor, you know, he he needs to think about when he comes back. He needs to fight somebody who uh you know who's going to be a lot more manageable for him to to fight. And not have to deal with all the things he's going to deal with as far as coming back with, uh, for being out for so long. Dare UFC the fight to make to this day still? Connor, Jose Aldo, two at lightweight for Jose Aldo's send away from the UFC. It's a very winnable fight for Connor. Storyline is there. 
book the damn fight. I'm excited. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. Let's do it. All right. We got to keep rolling through. Now it's, we got to hit this uh, uh, bullet style here. Uh, quick points here. Uh, yeah, your grown son, Peter Yan. Big win over Jimmy Rivera. Fun little fight. I'm not sure Yan deserved the de- decision, though. I like really? the, I like the volume of Rivera's strikes. I know Jan dropped him twice, landed the bigger shots, and I'm not believe me, I'm not trying to play Skip Bayless contrarian and have an alternate take for every category. At the end of that fight, I had Jimmy Rivera winning it. I was a little bit surprised the decision went unanimous across the board. Am I crazy? If he didn't get dropped in that second round, I think he probably wins the fight. See, at the end of the second I, round, man, I don't know because. Peter was landing so square. Like everything. Oh, is he it Peter threw... now? Because I heard on the broadcast it's <laughs> Petroya or whatever. Or there's 55 other pronunciations. Petri, Petri, Petri. <laughs> Peyote well, at some point. I was like, we got a party here? What's going on? But no, I just thought his strikes were landing so much better because as much as Jimmy was landing, and he did, by the way, I mean, to your credit, he took away Jan's leg. Like, he had no, he couldn't stand on on that front foot anymore after he got kicked in the in the shin like seven times in a row. I just thought Jan's striking was so much better than Jimmy's overall. Like Jan, like Jimmy only all had only had the strut the leg kick. He wasn't able to land square on his chin. I didn't think, and I just thought Jan was able to do everything he wanted. He was landing on the chin. He was landing to the body. He was landing his leg kick as well. Like I just thought he looked complete from a striking perspective. Yeah, I thought that Jimmy Rivera, uh, he did really well, but I think that Jan did a really good job of closing out every single round. He did a really good job of making sure that he uh, left an impression on the judge's mind at the end of every round. And then uh, the wrestling, the wrestling of Jan, I felt like, you know, was something that that gave him the advantage. And, you know, Jimmy's never been taken down like that in, in a fight. And True. when you see Jan taking him down like that, you're like, okay, well, not, not only is he kind of directing the traffic with a stand-up, um, he's also been able to control the fight by taking them down. And I think that was the difference and, and got him to win. I can hear Jimmy. No, no. Uh, Blagoy and uh, Tai Tuivasa uh, pissed in a shoe and drank out of it and set back conditioning in a heavyweight <laughs> fight by 10 years. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about, about my favorite division in the entire sport. You know what I'm talking about, Brandon, right? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. All right. It's not for those reasons, but women's straw weight is fantastic, okay? I love me some women's straw weight. They deliver to get, they always deliver. They deliver all the time, okay? Whether it's boogie women, they always deliver. Boogie woman is coming tomorrow! I hope she does come, please. Uh, Tatiana Suarez took that step forward in basically a number one contenders match, getting the unanimous decision over Nina Ansarov. But, here comes the butt, fellas. Good Lord, she almost got stopped in the final minute of round three after a impressive, dominant, wrestling heavy performance. Everyone wrote the pre-fight feature that said Tatiana's the next big star. She beat cancer. She was a tough champion. She's huge for this division. She's everything. Guys, what the hell happened in that final minute? I'll give Nina credit for staying solid. But she almost, if there was 10 more seconds in that fight, I, I, I fear Suarez is getting stopped. What happened? Well, I mean, it, you know, in a fight, it, it, you have to stay focused. You got to stay locked in the whole entire fight, you know, and, and it happens. You know, sometimes you you get and you're like one minute away from the fight and you had a fight in the landslide fight. I mean, here, here uh, for me, for example, I was beating Tiago Silva and I was going to the third round and I was doing my thing in the third round. And then I got a little cute. And then he caught me with a shot. And then I was on ice. I was skating. I couldn't. He was on top of me. He was blasting me with the shots. And I just kept thinking, not today, not today. But the whole time I was thinking that, I was like, man, why did I even let up a little bit? I should have just, I should have not relaxed. I should have stayed on him. I should have just kept 
pushing the pace and, and being that bully. But uh, it takes only a second. And that's that's what happens. It only takes a second just to just take your eye off the road and you got something bad happening in front of you. Randall, does this hurt her as the idea of next in line for Jessica Andrade? Does this, does this take anything away? I don't know because Dana seems to think that she's going to probably be next. But Michelle Watterson tried to say, like, she doesn't deserve it after this fight. And, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue based on what you're saying about how she looked in those first two rounds. But leaving it open in the third for Nina to have a chance to win I don't know. I I feel like she's going to get the push because that's kind of where we're heading now with trying to make these crossover stars and and giving these like good feel good stories like a chance to grow. I just I'm not I don't think she's ready. I think she needs one more fight before she's ready to fight for the title against somebody like Jessica Andrade, who's going to probably maul her with her right, wrestling. Right. That's that's why I like that's why I like Michelle Watterson. I, I like that one. And it's marketable and, too. It's not yeah, a bad it's, fight. It's, it's marketable, you know, and, and Michelle's one of those, you know, very marketable, uh beautiful fighters. Um, you know, great story as well too. Mom, you know, wife, uh just just a great story for her. And uh I think that, you know, she's definitely with her last performance made a case for her, you know, to fight next for the title. I would like to see Watterson get that shot. The idea is then who do you match Suarez with? I mean, there are retreads, step-up retreads. You can pay, put her in there against the Tisha Torres types, the Carla Esparza types, to try to get her sort of seasoned up one more time to, for the big push. I'm not against hey, that. Hey, man. Hey, if she decides to come back and she doesn't get the immediate rematch, I would love to see Tatiana against Rose. Um... No? I don't know. Are you cashing out Rose if you're the UFC at that point? I mean, I, I'm sensitive to Rose right now because she's, I mean, you saw in that in early what she did to Andrade. If she wants to fight again, and that's an if right now. Yep. I don't know if you throw her to this, to this rising wolf. I mean, that's UFC style. There's no outs. There's no easy outs here. You do get matched as tough as possible, but I would, I would do, I would kid glove Rose because if you want, if she wants to come back, I'd almost be as safe as I could to give her a chance to come back and win back that title. I mean, I can see any argument. It's just what are how about Joanna? It's possible. I think again, look, I'm playing matchmaker right now. You gotta protect Joanna because the story is she already beat Andrage. So to get to right. that rematch, you gotta kinda protect Joanna a little bit. So then you basically pinned yourself in a corner here with No, no, look, dude, there's the there's the Claudia Gadelas, there's there's the, the retread names that actually is a perfect test. For Tatiana right now, you know what I mean. Sometimes you don't have to break glass and rush somebody into a title shot. Sometimes right. you can let it happen. You'd be giving her somebody that's outside the top ten after you just gave her somebody in the top five. It just doesn't really make sense. Give her Calvio. You love Calvio. You love <laughs> no. Calvio. That's an awful fight. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, Alexa Grasso, by the way, in the same division, just looked great on Saturday night. Outpointing Carolina Kovalkiewicz. So uh, the boxing is back. The time away from injury, she looks great. I don't hate that fight either. By the way, Brandon. Can you put Tatiana against her? All right. I just, I just fixed it, bro. All right. I just fixed it. (laughs) Whatever you say. Uh, it's a close here on UFC 238. It is what you mentioned earlier. It was a Bantamweight showcase. Aljo gets the decision over Pedro Munoz. He called for the title shot. Petro Jan, Petoria, Pedroia Jan calls for the title shot. Who's getting the title shot next? When Bantamweight's loaded, brother, book the, book the territory for me. Yeah, that, that, that's a difficult one, but I, I would say definitely it's got to be the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. You know, um, his his last few fights ever since he fought uh, Marlon has, has just been amazing. And he's shown that, you know, 
you know, because that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes a loss like that to wake you up. And he looks like he's definitely woken up and he's he's growing into his fighting style and he's he's getting more comfortable. And it goes to the comment I'm saying that I said earlier today about, you know, finding his master, his level of mastery. And it looks like he's grown into his level of mastery. That's how you can tell when someone is ready to fight for a title is when, you know, they, they're able to, you know, you see, you see their style. You're like, okay, that's his style. He, he flows with the style. He's good at his style. He's mastering his style. And I, that's what I see with, with, uh, with, with Aljamain Sterling. And not just the, the, the confidence, the technique, all that. Pedro Munoz, you got to give him credit. There were points in this fight where I'm like, he's turned the tide. He's going to yeah. stop Aljo. This is what Pedro yeah. Munoz does. He absorbs violence and then comes back and drops you. And in that third round, man, Sterling made sure I'm not going to have a bad moment. I'm not going to, you know, the brakes are not going to fall out of the uh, fall out of the car as I'm moving here. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. So I give him credit for that. Yeah, and in, in that fight, you know, uh, Aljamain, he, he beat his personal best record. You know, he had his first round. He out. He 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 beat he beat himself. You know, because he. And that first round landed 110 strikes, and that's yeah. the most that he's ever landed in all of his fights combined. So he's he's done that in the first round, and that goes to show the working pace that he's trying to set now. You know, he he's he's out there and he's working, he's pushing himself to a whole another level to be able to 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 fight at that volume when he's never been able to fight that volume before. It shows a steady progression. It shows that this guy is is um definitely somebody who is somebody to watch in his weight class, and he definitely should be fighting for the uh, title. Uh, my final my, th- go ahead, Brandon. My only concern with him would be just the volume of striking that we saw with Cejudo and Marais. If that's what it ends up being with him and out Al- with Cejudo and Aljo, whew, I just I don't know. know who's going to be able to survive that. You know, yeah. that's just going to be so many punches and kicks being thrown. But if you're going to book Aljo for that fight, then what do you do with Jan now? I think Jan 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 has to have one more. I think that Jan he's um you know he he's. He's one fight off of John uh, John Dodson. Mm-hmm. He had a great fight in that one. This one was another one. He fought against Jimmy Rivera. Jimmy Rivera, uh, great, great, uh, tough, tough guy. But I think he, I, I would love to see him just do one more because, you know, he's he's still. I, I think he has time to do one more. You yep. know what I'm saying? I think that he's he's you know Aljamain. He's been he's been in his weight class for a while, and he's he's been putting his work for a while. And and when when it comes to just you know work equity alone. I think that you got to give it to Aljo. It's just weird to see the the differences in the weight classes and how they choose to like pick people for title right. fights because 205 in the last year and a half, you saw Vulcan just get skyrocketed after three wins in a row yeah. where he's well, being dude, dominant. Four. And everything. He, he knocked out that dude in that Fort Lauderdale bar. Four wins that's, in a row. That's on, true. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but – my point is more I understand what you're saying about Jan and he's also not totally marketable yet. Like yeah. he's, he doesn't speak English. He doesn't he's not fluent in the language. He's not a trash talker. But it's who do you give him left? Because Marlon lost. A, I got the answer. A, I got your answer right here. It's, right. it's the box of sex you've been waiting for. All right. Peter Jan, John Lineker. Make it happen. Boom. Boom. That's that's exactly it. Because you got to understand that now that the, whenever there's a like you brought the 205 situation. Well, that that was them just trying to feed the champion. The mm-hmm. champ is hungry. He cleaned up the weight class. He's that's not the case at at one thirty five. Now we're 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 with fresh blood. Now we had a restructuring. Now we got to restructure the whole thing because it, it just all got shot to hell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now we got to restructure the whole weight class and try to figure out okay, where does everybody go now? And I think that that's what we're going to see at the one thirty five weight class. We're going to see okay, the UFC's kind of restructured things and kind of made a different hierarchy of where guys are going to be ranked and, and who's going to be fighting who. Or you go Peter Yan against Cody Garbrandt. 
Because you know that's going to be oh, hellfire no, everywhere. No. Protect Cody. Give Cody a chance to live his yeah, life. Yeah, give, give Cody a chance to get back on his on his thing. You know man. what they got to do? Had, they gotta, Cody's had a hard run. They got to give Cody a cold shower and restock his brand so they can put him against Henry Cejudo because that is magic. Thank you. All right. Uh, my final 238 thought. And by the way, 239 is going to be a banger. July 6th, Vegas. I'll be there. Be Wise will be there. Rashad Evans will be there entering be the there. Hall of Fame. And we will also have big-time interviews in the next few weeks on this show with Amanda Nunez, the champ champ, with Jorge Masvidal, by the way, who is not doing interviews ahead of this big fight against Ben Askren. But he did one with us, so you're going to want to check that out coming up. My final 238 thought is that Shevchenko kick, Rashad, did you get a little Sean Salmon flashback, flashback right there? I, I, I did. You know, when, when I seen it, it, it made my heart jump a little bit, man, because it was – I think it was more devastating than the Sean Salmon kick, man. That yeah. that made my heart – I was like, oh, my goodness. And she stayed down for a long time. It was a scary moment. Do you keep a up scary... a relationship when you put somebody on a poster like that? Like like, like every <laughs> time they're going to say Rashad Evans for life and show a video, it's going to be like you knocking out Chuck Liddell and you kicking Sean Salmon in the face. And it's like, I know, like I know, Chuck's I... a legend. Who cares? But what is Sean Salmon's life like now? Do you keep in touch? I, I You know, I've never talked to Sean Salmon after that day. I've I, I, I thought about him, but I never I thought about him a lot, but I never thought talked to him after that day, man. Yeah, you should return his soul when you're when you're free. Please, <laughs> please give that back to him. All right. Uh, Mikey, Mikey, what do we got in the news cycle? Anything worth getting into here? We got a great Bellator card to get into, but what anything popping? Yeah, let's just let's run through these real fast. Uh, Chris Weidman is moving up to the 205. Oh, How's that? Yes. Move the needle for you guys? Yes, that's that's a good move for him. And I think a lot of 185 ponders have done it. But what what I like more importantly about this is kind of we're, we're kind of seeing a new era in the UFC where where guys are or people you know I can't even say guys the athletes are, are starting to move where uh, they feel best at from a health standpoint. You know what I'm saying? All the days of cutting weight, I'm gonna get as low as I can and just suffer as long as I can. People aren't getting out of that, man. They're like, yo, listen, I, I, it's all about for me, you know, um, being able to uh, make weight and then fight effectively. Because one thing that fighters suddenly realize is that, yeah, I can make the weight. But when it comes to far as taking punishment in a fight, I'm not able to do that because I'm not able to uh, hydrate on a nutrient from, from a hydration standpoint. You know, when you hydrate, when you dehydrate yourself like that, your brain becomes more susceptible to getting knocked out because it does not have the fluid around the brain to protect it when it concusses against the back of the head after each shot. So you get a lot, you get dizzy a lot more. So that's, I, I'm glad that Weidman is doing that because he's been taking a lot of shots and his head needs a break. Rashad, what side of the of the fence do you fall exactly. on in the Rockhold exactly. uh, Weidman debate? That's because... where I was going next. Because look, in, in, <laughs> Rashad, in pro wrestling, you're either a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels guy. And in the UFC, just so you know our personalities, Luke Rockhold, my guy. Chris Weidman. Okay. His guy, all right. Okay, okay, okay. So, but he also trains with. I Luke. train with Luke, so it's, I mean, there we go. Of, he knows what he knows. Of, yeah, he's yeah, going to be on the right of, side yeah. of history. Yes. Well, but, here, but here's the right. Here's the thing about it. Chris Weidman is a friend of mine. I love Chris. That's Weidman. The, I was so. gonna say he's from New York as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love Chris Weidman. So it, it's it's a hard thing for me. You know, I just I just hope they if they ever do fight again, I hope it's a good one. By the way, I have uh, the Rockhold Weidman two poster framed on my office wall. Right now. <laughs> fight that never happened. UFC one ninety nine never happened. Luckily for Chris. I don't know how he's going to compete at 205, guys. Is it going to be hand speed? I don't know. Uh, is he going to well, wrestle I, at 205? I, think, I don't know. I hope he returns to his wrestling. I hope he returns to his wrestling base because, listen, at the end of the day, we learn as wrestling to strike just so we're able to wrestle better. But sometimes when we learn to strike, we get away from the reason why we started to learn to strike better anyways was for the wrestling. 
I hope he gets back to the wrestling because when you look at Chris Weidman, he is very tough, extremely good on the ground. And what he's able to do with guys with ground and pound, it changes the fight. If he goes back to that, then I think it can definitely add to his much improved stand up. It fell in, she, he fell into the same trap as Ronda Rousey did, really, when she fell in love with her striking after she beat Besh Cohea, and then she tried to strike with Holly Holm, and she never yeah. tried to take her down. Head movement, I mean, brother. Head we, movement. We, we all fall into it, you know, and, and you know, especially, you know, with, with Weidman, you know, he, he trains out with Ray Thompson, and, and Mr. Thompson's a great coach, and, and, and that influence alone, you know, it, it makes you want to become a stand-up striker. You know, when I, when I started training with Henry Hoof more, I, I started to stand-up strike more. As well, too. But at the end of the day, you can never, never forget where you're a master at. He's a master when it comes to his grappling and in, in, in his wrestling. He has to go back to his mastery. And speaking Don't of forget Luke, where you come from. Exactly. Speaking of Luke Rockhold, he's also a master. Does he ever let you peep the DMs? Because that guy's got to <laughs> that guy's got to just be slaying. Yes, he slays. Yeah, he, he, he does. He does slay. He does. By slay. the way, we have a running joke on the wrestling, the State of Combat Pro Wrestling podcast of your boy Tino Sabatelli of N- NXT oh, WWE. <laughs> we always say Tino hit that because he probably did. You know, he probably did. Rashad <laughs> hangs out with some good-looking fellas there, Brando. All right, you got to yeah, join yeah, that yeah. circle. Tino's a good Tino's a good friend of mine, man. He he uh, he does well for himself as well. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mike. Anything else we should be talking about here before I hit you with some Bellator? Cyborg is looking to test the free agent yes. market after her oh. last fight in the UFC. This is interesting. Now, She's this got- is interesting. Go on, go on, BC. I was going to say, she's got Felicia Spencer coming up. That's in, is that the Edmonton card? Yes, in end of July. Uh, in, with Amanda saying, I have two fights left. One to be Holly Holm. I want the other to be a cyborg rematch. This will get interesting. And, and you know what, though? Not for nothing. I mean, I watched an interview with, with Cyborg, and uh, she, she's, her feelings are hurt. Her feelings are desperate, hurt. And, and, I, and, I, and I understand why. You know, to be, to be honest, she has been, the most dominant woman fighter in the long for, for the longest time, and I don't feel as if like you know she did lose that fight, but I feel like as if people are just kind of writing her off, like ah uh, you know. But she she deserves a she she deserves some respect, man. I mean she's been scary for a long time, and for somebody to do what, what the man of newness has done to her, that that's amazing that man did that. But at the end of the day, a man is the only one to ever have done that to her. Yeah, no doubt. You, know, you have to you have to admit that. But 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 I think the reason why she wants to be done with the whole UFC is because she doesn't feel like, you know, um, that the higher ups give her the respect that she deserves. And uh, I can understand that. I mean, she's they never, never really have. Brandon, she's, ne- she's never felt that just because that like we talked about last week, they made her fight at 140 when she first started in yeah. the organization and she struggled to make that cut every time. And it was just killing her to make that cut because they didn't want to make a 145 division for women. And BC, by the way, there's still no rankings on the UFC website yes. for a 145 pound it's division. It's not a real division. It never actually happened. Yeah. Thank you. Um, See, I mean, they gave her a division. You can argue a lot of things, but I think from day one, she was never treated with respect. And that's the thing. They never really realized her as an attraction. In fact, there was that long drama when she wanted to fight Rousey and they, meaning Dana was basically like, who is this guy? Or this this yeah. this roid abuser. So I get it, but I think Cyborg just realizes before she gets too old that her brand may have options. I'm not sure though if that's true, but I'm sure Bellator would have interest, even though they have no opponents for her. I'm sure 
if she ever could get into a fight with Kayla Harrison of the PFL, that'd be fun and marketable. ESPN would be behind that. And I know that Cyborg has been showing up at pro wrestling events, including the launch of AEW's All Elite Wrestling, and she sent out feelers to WWE, but they haven't really responded. So I hope for Cyborg she just does whatever makes her happy. She can get paid. I think she's an asset and a pioneer to this sport. She's great. I love me some Cyborg, Rashad, mostly because I, I, I the humility. Too, After the loss yeah. to Nunez, the humility was off the charts, man. Well, see, that's one thing that a lot of people, when you look at, like, when, not look at, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you uh, I guess, when, when Cyborg, when people get to know Cyborg, you get to know what a caring, what a sweet person she is, you know? And that's one thing that, you know, when I got to know her and when I got to meet her, I'm just like, wow, this, she's an amazing, sweet person, super humble. And that side never gets shown. It never really gets shown the person who she is, you know? And I wish that someone, you know, it it gets shown because she, she is an amazing person as well as an amazing fighter. I hope she gets a chance to come back for a Nunez rematch for her own legacy. But if she doesn't, Go make that money, player. Go, go cash in. Do what you want. All right. Do whatever you get more, some, get some more tats, get some face tats, whatever you want to do. Go enjoy yourself. I love you some cyborg. Mikey, anything else? Before we get to the Bellator 222 preview, I have this one for you. Oh, you guys God. just tell me who you think is going to win. Justin Bieber calls out Tom Cruise. Oh, man. What is oh, the origin man. of this beef? I, I barely know what's going on here, but what's the, Tom Cruise is like 56. What's the origin of this beef? Right. The origin, it literally just came from a tweet. Justin Bieber tweeted out <sighs> this was July or June 9th. I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, oh. if you don't take this fight, you're scared and you will never live it down. Who's willing to put on the fight? At Dana White question mark? No. No way. Listen, look, look, look. Beeb is too young to fight Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is is he's he's in the singers division. Exactly. The master. He's, Come he's on. 50, His chin is old. deteriorating. Come on. <laughs> Should yeah, we fight man. Logan Paul or one of those other clowns on YouTube? Come on, right? Logan, uh, one of the Paul brothers actually stepped in and called out Bieber for calling out Cruz. He said, Cruz is too old. I'll fight you, Justin. Oh, wow. That's some. uh, Yeah, see. Yeah, wow. Yes, Tom Cruz, 56 years old. Yeah, you got to be. Yeah. All right. If we can get some. Look, I miss old school celebrity boxing. Remember that was an actual show on Fox national television with like Screech and the guy from Different Strokes. I was down for that level of like trash reality TV. I don't know if I need anything else, although I would have popped big. Remember when Joe Rogan was almost going to fight Wesley Snipes? In the UFC. I would have loved to see that. I would have popped for that. I would have popped yeah. for Dana against Tito in that boxing match that almost happened too. I can get into this squirrely weird crap, but. But here's, here's the thing though. Joe Rogan would give a real, I mean, I watched him throw some kicks. Yo, oh, that dude. dude can throw some kicks, man. Like, it's going to be a real fight. It's not going to be no, like, celebrity, like, you know, it's going to be a real. Like, like he, he did can, he did some amateur work, right? Yeah, he could fight. Oh, yeah, Joe Rogan's legit, right. but but what Wesley Snipes said, always bet on black. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, thanks for making it weird. It's not weird. It's never weird. Rashad is hip. He understands. It would be weird if I played, you know, this soundbite. Did I not know I'm half black? That's weird, but nothing else is weird. All right, that's it, Mikey, right? Can we get that? Can we get off of this? Can we roll on? That is it. Take uh, us into the weekend. All right, Bellator 222, Friday night. This is a real card, folks. Madison Square Garden, one of those Scott Coker tent pole events where they load up and they give you the goods. I got to give them a lot of credit for this. Streaming exclusively on DAZN. 
And this new main event after a late shuffle, it's Rory McDonald defending his welterweight championship against unbeaten Neiman Gracie. It's part of the larger welterweight Grand Prix, which has been a fantastic tournament. But there is a lot to talk about from the idea of who is Rory McDonald right now? Who is the Red Dragon? Is he still the same guy? Does he still come to take things from you? I guarantee you, I will take that belt from you and I will take your health. Or should we be talking about more about the Rory comments after that John Fitch fight? Let's bring in the fighter himself, Rashad Evans. Rashad, I'm sure you saw those comments after he fought to a draw with John Fitch. And he just kind of said, look, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have different priorities these days. I don't know if I'm still that guy. That's a red red alert. That's a warning sign. I'm going to tell you right now. After I fought um, Glover Teixeira, I had an interview. And I said, um, fighting used to be easy for me. It used to be a very easy thing for me. And I was very emotional about it because I think that that was the time where I felt as the spirit of fighting have left me. Now, when I say that, like fighting has been second nature to me and, and it's almost like that it's like a, almost like a spirit, like a, a, an energy that comes over me that, that allows me and makes me fight and makes me excited to fight and stuff like that. Well, I, I didn't have that, you know, towards the end of my last few fights. And it was something that kind of just, it just went away. And that's the thing about fighting is that, you know, when I started to fight, there's a lot of things that I, I could use to fight, like as far as like from a, um, for, for, uh, motivation. You know, I had a, you know, tough growing up and had all these different obstacles and I can just pick and choose from any one of these obstacles and then I can have enough fuel and, and, and enough, you know, spirit to fight forever. But as time goes on and as you grow up and you go through different things in life, you know, you start to heal and fighting, it actually heals you. So as I became healed, it became harder for me to fight. And I think that's what Rory's at. Rory's in a place where he's healed in a lot of areas where um, before he was not. And it made him a fighter. And now he's healed in those areas. His heart is telling him that he's something else. Damn, that's deep. That's some deep ish right there. I appreciate that. That's 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 what happens, man. That's That's where... That's that's where I was at. That's where I was at. And that's when I knew it was time to stop fighting. Like I look in the mirror right now and I and I and I still physically still feel like I can fight. Um, But when it comes to just, you know, mentally putting myself on the line to fight and being able to go out there and execute, um, I don't think I'm there anymore just because I don't have that. Like I said, I don't have that that spirit. I don't have that fighting spirit in me anymore. I don't have that that fighting dog in me anymore. I'm afraid it, go, it goes it goes away. It goes. It, I, I, oh, I can it goes understand away. that. It goes away. Yeah. I mean, in, in my fear for Roy, who's only 29, but obviously has been through some hellacious wars in the last three years. If you're feeling that now and you're feeling it to the point that you're going to vocalize it after a fairly disappointing performance there against John Fitch. I know that's what John Fitch does, but still, um, I'm fearful for him. Now he's coming in there against Neiman Gracie, not a slugger, not a guy that 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 has that type of potential to, to shut his lights out. But. Anytime you're vocalizing that, like, yeah, it's, it's like when Rose had doubts afterwards, I'm like, just go, go figure it out. We're not mad at you. Go because the worst place to be at, for me as a critic is to see a guy who's not mentally or doesn't have the heart for it anymore, putting himself in a spot where he can become fodder. 
And I don't know what Rory's last two, three months have been like, but I don't know if he can just dial that back in. I'm sure Bellator still needs him to finish out this tournament, still needs yeah. him to defend this title. Again, glad he's not fighting uh, Douglas Lima right now. You know, no, no, disrespect to, no disrespect to Gracie's game, but I'm really intrigued by what we're going to see, but not in the, if not in good ways, you know? Yeah, it, you, it's very difficult because at the same time, it's like, even though you may feel like, you know, fighting has left you, there's still a, a part of you that is still so much of because at, at the end of the day, when I was breaking up with fighting, I called the breakup. Uh, it, it was I would go through those phases where I would miss it a lot. And then phase where I'm just kind of like I was very indifferent about it, you know. And, you know, it's not all it's not always about just the fight itself. It's everything that comes along with the fight, you know, the the, the emotional roller coaster and everything else. You know, sometimes you just like you feel like you can do it. But then when you're in it and when you're going through it, you just like. I've emotionally moved on. Like I emotionally, I'm, I don't, I don't feel the same anymore when I'm talking about the fight. I don't feel the same anymore in my room waiting to fight this person anymore. It just doesn't feel the same anymore. I don't, I don't feel like this is the most important thing in the world anymore. And that's when, that's when a shift happens because, you know, I, I said it to the, you know, when, when I retired, I said at one point I felt like fighting was the most important thing in the world. And now I feel like, Life is the most important thing in the world. Yeah, man. I'm trying to have that same breakup with fast food ahead of this Brandon Wise fight, <laughs> but I really appreciate the depth there. Brando, Neiman Gracie's 9-0, and part of the fourth-generation Gracie family member, coming off that big win over unbeaten Ed Ruth, yet not really proven on the elite level. So what do you think when you look at this matchup? Not proven on the elite level, but he also took Ed Ruth away. Like, Oh, it was, you were... it was nice. It was a nice win, believe me. You were very in on Ed Ruth and his chances to win this tournament, and Neiman like proved you wrong with how well he looked in that fight. So I think that this is going to be interesting just because I want to see Rory, how he's going to look in his wrestling game and on the ground in a fight like this because that's that's Neiman's best chance to win, right? He's going to have to take this to the ground and try to look, look for a submission win. I'm actually interested because offshore odds right now have this about even. I know. Isn't that tell you something? Because mm. – I'm looking at it right now. They have Rory minus 125, Neiman minus 115. So that shows you the concern for McDonald at this point. Right. That To me, like I wonder what those odds are if we don't have those crazy comments after the fight from Rory because if he was actually like just hiding this emotion that he let right. out, like would people even realize what he's going through or what he's feeling inside? Because like you said, it's – it, you you try to contain it. You try not to let people into your life and into your inner circle when you're feeling like this. But when somebody's that open about it, it's and, one of those things where you just kind of need to walk away. And and then the worst part about it is to to add to your point, you know, uh, all week he's going to be hearing yep. about his doubt. And if he's not doubting himself, he's going to be thinking about what the interview said. And that's what happens when you have a fight. Like if I'm not thinking about something, then an interviewer says it. Then afterwards, I'm like. Why do you say that? Then I'm thinking about what the interviewer said. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So These, the media, they're to, always trying has, to stir the pot. Yeah. So, so, so now he has to think about: Do I really feel like that? How much do I really like fighting? Am I under here on the right, on, under for the right reasons? You know, do I have that burning desire when it comes time to, you know, uh, give it all I got in the last minute? Do I really have it to give it all I have in the last minute, or am I going to let this guy, you know, give it more than me because he wants it more? You know. 
When you look at That's this run, come Rory, down to. not on a great run when you consider, yeah, he beat Douglas Lima in that fantastic five-round fight, but Rory took a ton of punishment. Then he gets stopped by Gegard Mousasi moving up to middleweight, and then the very flat five-round performance against John Fitch. So it's certainly not trending in the right direction. He'll have a chance to win it back, advance to the semifinals of this tournament, which has been great. And considering Lima has already advanced, I mean, we're really, the, the, the tournament's going to win, meaning we're going to find out who are the best welterweights not in the UFC. And you could argue Bellator has better welterweights. Well, maybe not anymore. Man, UFC is reloaded at welterweight in a hurry. But still, this is a fantastic tournament. I want to see how this pans out. I feel like you still have to favor Rory until he's 100% not Rory. But no disrespect, Neiman Grayson's tapping everybody they put him in with. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, this co-main event is the type of slop that I get down with folks i love me some hashtag old guy fights you know that no one does it better than bellator i'm like john jones i sound like sean combs and i got trombone size stones like john holmes and you know i love me some gangster chael sonnen never piss off a gangster i just don't think i mean chael's certainly not trending upward we love chael He's 42. He's still selling tickets. This very easily could have been the main event. It originally was the main event. Chael Sonnen, Leota Machida, two guys that Rashad Evans has shared the cage with. But Rashad, you know Bellator. It's the South Florida of MMA. It's the movie Cocoon. Remember that? Remember that? They had the, the egg on the bottom of the, of the pool, and if you swam in that water, you were re-energized? They'll give you yeah. the type of matchmaking that'll let you have your senior tour moment. But when yeah. I look at this matchup, I think Machida's got little bit too much left in the tank for Chael right here. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You know, but but here here's the thing though. I agree and I don't agree. And here here's why. If we look at Chael and we judge Chael just based off of how he looked against Tito Ortiz, I, I, I say yeah. But then if you look at Chael again against when he gets Rampage, then you say, okay, then Chael still has some tread left on his tiles tires because at that fight, Chael fought the way that he can fight. And Chael fights that way. He tends to fight that way when he knows that he's the better wrestler. So in that fight with Tito, he knew that Tito was a good wrestler as well, too. So he didn't he didn't really rest his laurels on the fact that he's going to be able to take Tito down and ground upon him. You know what I'm saying? So T, uh, Chael's a very momentum fighter. You get what you so if he's able to get some momentum on Machito by implementing his wrestler wrestling, then Machito's in for a, a tough fight. But it's going to be. How does he close the distance? Machida's one of those fighters who, you know, he he he's he's a dart he's a, he's a dart thrower. You know, he'll throw a dart at you and then, you know he he'll leave you he'll leave you stinking. You like he caught like he caught me. You know what I'm saying? I came I came in. He caught me with a, a a nice a nice straight left. You know, but that's that's the thing about Machida. But here's the thing that makes Machida able to get caught. He pulls out, and when he pulls out, he pulls out tall. So all you really have to do is just close the distance. And make him feel uncomfortable, and he's going to pull out tall. At that point, you can un- unleash the overhand right. It sounds simple, it sounds easy, it sounds like, ah, why didn't you do it? But at the end of the day, when you see Machida lo- lose, it's always been off of that. No doubt. Did you just use the rampage fight though from Let last year it. when he was that large, out of shape rampage? He wasn't the same guy anymore. I mean, right? No, I, I, rampage, I did use yes. that. Fi- I did use that fight, but at the end of the day. Chael used his wrestling. No, and that was and that, and that was my point because Chael will use his wrestling against Machida, and I think he's a better wrestler against Machida. But that's where Chael gets his confidence from. Chael is like one of those fighters who he he's 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 uh super confident when it's leading up to it, but when it comes time to fight, like he gets really really nervous, and sometimes those nerves they get the better of him. Oh, right? he'll make a mistake. I, he'll make a mistake in there. 
Yeah, he, he, he'll make a mistake. But I think with, with a guy like Machida, because he knows that he can wrestle better with him, I think he stands a better chance. Well, you said Machida's got a great pullout game. Mikey did as well in, in college. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, All right. Uh, Machida, though, 41, three-fight win streak. One of those was that front kick to hell against Vitor. So he's in a much better place, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, can, and can Chael cut back down to 205 after enjoying – the 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 little love handle that she was able to add on for the heavyweight grand prix it'll be interesting to see maybe he's got to make it more more of a fight in the end i'm not a martial yeah. artist i am a fighter yeah so we'll see what happens there uh how pumped are you guys for this darian caldwell kyoji horiguchi matchup at bantamweight for the bellator title the run it back is it also for the um the for risen the risen yeah I, I, I like this one because I, I think the first fight, I think that uh, Caldwell would have did a lot better if uh, it was in an octagon yeah. or something where you know it's it better cage. than a, a cage. But uh, you know, you know, Horiguchi, you know, he, he's he's tough to control, and and I think that the fact that he's able to set a pace that he's able to do, it it, it leaves Caldwell in a position. Well, are you going to gas out again? Do you have gas issues? Are you going to gas out? You know what I'm saying? Because I, that's what I seen. I, I seen last time. You know. Darren looked like he got tired, but was it the fact that because he couldn't keep down Horiguchi? Was that why he got tired? You know, I'm just mad that this is the first fight on the card and not the one leading into the Chael and Rory fights because this deserves to get the shine because they build this up in in Japan with the Risen card. They made this a big deal over there, and now they're making it. They're trying to make it a big deal here. It feels like, but you're also putting it first on the card where right. you're in the same position as Blog Boy and Tai Tuivasa. You know, like. I, I, it's just weird to me that they made this big a deal about it, and then they were like, "Oh, you know what? We're gonna lead the card with that." Well, see, that's the thing. About, I, I love Bellator, and I love the fact that they're they're able to give you know um, so many places for fighters to fight. But at the end of the day, I do not like the way they set up their cards. Like, like as far as like you know what fight and, and what order they try to do it in. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that they they have a a a, a way that I don't believe works as far as. Okay, so you have Chael Sonnen and Leo Machida. These guys are, you know, proven UFC stars and whatnot. So you're going to bring some fans over to watch that, but you don't need to make that a co-main event. You don't need to make that a co-main event, right? You you want you want to you want to put in that position something that you're trying to build, yep. right? Because at the end of the day, you know, Chael Sonnen and, and Leo Machida, they're both great, but they're closer to the end than the beginning. So and that's what that's what they're putting Dylan Dennis. He's the third fight on the card. And he's the one that leads into that Chael Sonnen fight, and they're trying to build him into whatever they think he can be. I don't agree with whatever no, the, they I, think see, he I'm can with be. That. Well, he, I mean, the, he, you got to push Dylan Dennis. He's a he's a personality. He gets so much shine being next to Conor McGregor. I mean, he was the trigger point in that 229 brawl with Habib. So I'm like, push this guy. I mean, he's facing Max Humphrey. Dylan only one and zero. This will be a catchweight at 175. I'm like, push this guy as if he is a star because in Bellator. You only have so many stars, and you only have so many that are still rising, right? You only, you know what I'm saying? Like the, you only have I so agree. many that you can really put put the rocket pack on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. But the only problem to me is, like you just said, he's going to be at a catchweight. They don't even. He's not a guy who wants to commit to a division. So how can you put all of that star power on somebody who can't even get himself into one of your divisions? Well, I mean, that's exactly why you're making them star <laughs> out the gate. You're making them special because you're giving them a different weight class. If I, I mean. But but here's here's the reality of the situation is he he you're they're doing the smart move because they're riding off of already the publicity that he has just from being on Conor McGregor. So that's just 
that's that's just a lot less work that they have to do to build somebody who can be a potential star for them. I, I don't give him celebrity Kimbo Slice style booking, Brandon. Milk this guy. He can talk. He's right. an a hole on the mic. Like this is yeah. what you have to do. And by the way, he's also obviously a badass BJJ practitioner. One of the best can tap you. He'll tap your ass, Brandon. All right, just so you know. Whoa, whoa. All right, I'll tell. I'll put it right out there. Uh, Eduardo Dantes has a bantamweight <laughs> fight against Juan Archuleta, not moving me. But I want to see what Aaron Pico does coming back off that distra- disastrous knockout loss. This is what the second or third time we're rebuilding. Aaron Pico has a featherweight bout in the preliminary main event against Adam Borix, and like Rashad, this one hit me hard because man, I love me some Aaron Pico. Twenty-two really was sort of the. The, the greatest prospect the sport's ever seen. The first guy who, like, we were, pro- you know, people were propping up since he was in the teenage years, signed a Bellator deal while still in high school, it was the most well-rounded robot we ever had in this game and now has two stoppage losses. Yeah, but you know what, though? That's that's just the name of the game. And, and to be honest, it doesn't mean that he's over as far as, you know, uh, getting the hype that he deserved or the hype that he was getting. It just means that he he just had to readjust his game and now he's moved to uh to, to jackson's gym and now he's at, at in albuquerque and he's under greg jackson and he's under great tutelage because if there's anybody who can get his mind right and get him to competing and bring that dog out it is it is greg jackson and you know he can help him to to to, de- to deal with uh the fact that he was you know on a high of a high and, and had two losses because greg greg has, has worked with a lot of athletes who you know um, been in that kind of position, you know what I'm saying? So I think that he, he's he's in the right place being at Jackson's gym, and I think that being at Jackson's gym also has a great advantage because you know he's he's around the John Joneses and the Holly Holmes and the Michelle Watersons and all these great fighters who you know have great things in their camp that had their ups and downs, you know. So well, not John Jones. Well, he, <laughs> he, well, he did outside yeah, the cage, yeah. but at the end of the day, I think Pico's in the right place to to be able to grow in a direction where people think that he can be what we thought. He yeah. Could he be. moved up fast against Henry Corrales in just a sixth fight. Yeah. In but, January. but he was he, winning but he, that but fight. Here, but, then... here, but here's another thing. He's going against his newcomer, uh, Adam Borox. And, and um, he's training out of South Florida here in South Florida. He's training at H kickboxing ooh. and he's on Borox. No, I said, Ooh, yeah. not who I said. Yeah, ooh. Oh, oh, I thought you said, Ooh, I thought you said, who? Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's training. And let me tell you about this kid. This kid is, um, one of the special talents that we have on a team. This kid was a uh, striking striker guy, and um, now you know he's completely well-rounded. And you know what Henry and Greg Greg uh, Jones have done, and and um, Kami, they they have really really turned this kid around. That's why when I seen that he was fighting uh, Borax, I'm just like, this is going to be a very a very tough. It's gonna be a t- it's gonna be a tough fight. I think it's going to be a tough fight because this kid, he's he's got he's got some tremendous stand up, and he has some um, pretty good wrestling defense. So it's not a pushover. No, no, it's it's not, and and that's the thing about it. Like when you see a guy like that, and and even Pico may not even realize it. This guy is tough. He's twelve and 3 and zero in Bellator from Hungary. I'm hungry to see this fight. I mean, look, Pico. If Greg Jackson's telling him anything, hopefully it's hey, bro. You can wrestle. You can out wrestle all these yeah. guys. Stop trying to be Miguel Cotto. I know you. You supposedly dropped him at Freddie Roach's gym. That's great, but let, let's get back to the real world here. Use your striking selectively, strategically. Don't just come out here balls to the wall trying to get the highlight reel every time. 
Yeah, well, you know, you know what though? It's like um, the mix. A, a lot of fighters get out of the mix of what it is, the ratio between striking into wrestling and how to get into that. And what it comes down to more than anything is not going with live sparring because a lot of times where, you know, you want these guys to take a lot of shots, like, okay, they, they put them in live training sessions and they'd be like, all right, spar, now do 100 shots, now, now take all these shots. And they're like, wait a minute, we're going live sparring. It's a lot harder. So what you need to do is in order to build in, you know, you want this guy to wrestle a lot. Okay, so we do a lot of drill sparring. I want you to drill, 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 but everything you end with a takedown. That's how you start building into the mindset. Okay, every single time we're looking for the takedown, we're always hunting for the takedown, even after strikes. Love it. And Greg and Greg Jackson is the one who you know who, who got me with that. So I'm sure that he's able to get uh, Pico on the right path again. Uh, plenty of names here to check out on the DAZN preliminary card if you care. Ricky Bendejas at Bantamweight is back. Uh, my guy, Mike Kimball at Bantamweight, who was 2-0 and with two highlight real knockouts for Bellator, got stopped in his last fight from my backyard of Waterbury, Connecticut. See if he can bounce back against Sebastian Ruiz. The boxer Heather Hardy is back, and Brandon Wise's favorite female fighter, Valerie Lareda, is back. Did you see? Us. Did you see who she's fighting? Larkin Dash? Did you see, but did you see like what happened with this? No, I, I, she, the girl that she is fighting is a Hooters waitress oh. who signed her contract at Hooters the day, <laughs> like when this happened, like I'm not, I'm not making this wow. up. All right then. Yeah. Uh, Robson Gracie also on this undercard as well. Um, yeah. Lorena, by the way, does look, does look like she's got some charisma. could be a, could be a marketable player. Let's see how she does in this fight. Anyway. We, we took Rashad Evans downtown this week. We pushed him the full two hours to pull the full five rounds, all right? We took him into the deep waters, and he responded, wow, I'm loving this mix right now, okay? I love me some Rashad giving me the inside mind of a fighter. I appreciate being on here, guys. I love it. Let's do this every weekend. I can't wait until you are going to be in my corner pointing and laughing at him <laughs> as he's gassed out in one round of sparring with me. It's going to be great. Stop that stuff. Anyway, follow us on Twitter at State of Combat, at BrandonWise65. Mike, you got a Twitter profile, right? MJMCBSI. Rashad, where can the people find you on social media? It's uh, Sugar Rashad Evans, and that's it. All right, B. Campbell, CBS on the horn here. Check out our other offerings from the State of Combat this week. Listen, you're going to want to check out our, our Bob Arum interview on the boxing show, talking about if you can only get Al Heyman to smoke a joint with him, we may see... Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. in 2019. You gotta, you gotta hear this. Believe me. Thank you. Uh, anyway, that's it for for the folks for Rashad Evans. Thank you. Enjoy Bellator 222 this weekend. And we got two words for the people. We out. <laughs>